Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I've got Sky from Soul Seed in the house. They're a successful independent band from right here in Eugene, Oregon. We're going to talk about how growing up in the 90s influenced us to mix all kinds of genres in our own music. We're going to talk about how Booked by Sky, Soul Seed plays as many as three times as many shows a year on the road as I do, as well as their brand new album called The Spark. We're here because it's been a long time in the making. We've been talking about doing something here. I was trying to hit you up around your guys' most recent tour mm-hmm. for Soul Seed. I think you you left, and then I left, and then you know schedules got twisted, and and we finally made it. So thanks for coming. Happy to be here, man. It's, it has been a long time. It's a long like, time in the works. It's ten thirty at night right here. We're, yeah, just, yeah. we're pulling it hey, off, man. We like I said earlier, man. We we both live we live the night shift anyway. So yep. you know, totally. I'd be I'd be at home working anyway. So yeah, I'd rather be here and chopping it up. And uh, yeah, this is, this is a great opportunity. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course. So we come from uh, different scenes, but we've you know intersected and and seen each other's mm-hmm. music in passing and whatever. Well, first of all, are you from Eugene? No, I moved to Eugene in uh, August, August twenty fourth, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Okay, it's moved been a while. up. Yeah, I'm, ten years. I got got the decade in. Yeah, uh, but I am originally from uh, the Bay Area. Did you play uh, music in the Bay? A little bit. A little bit. I definitely, I would say, became a serious musician once mm-hmm. I got to Eugene. Okay, but I've been involved in music my entire life and i've been hanging around musicians and bands forever what what was your first instrument my dad bought me a guitar when i was i don't know maybe fifth or sixth grade or so and i played a little bit and um took a couple of lessons but um frankly we just like couldn't really afford them uh for a while and didn't really have anybody in my life at that time that uh was like immediately close to me who could just kind of like teach me lessons you know you needed a matt bradley i needed a matt bradley yeah needed a matt bradley um but uh you know instead of i guess an instrument um i turned to uh lyrics Mm. and that was a big thing for me you know um I mean, currently I play, you know, keyboards and uh, didgeridoo, but I definitely started, and I would say that my most, like, what I've been focusing on my musical career for 10, 15 years is definitely lyric-based. Kind of just going through the scenes growing up, middle school and high school, starting to just write poems like everyone else does, but, you know, poetry class became more than assignments to do and like lovey-dovey valentine's poems and shit like yeah. it became like rhyming's dope and like dr seuss is like <laughs> super dope yeah like that kind of stuff was really fun to me you know and so i just started kind of writing my own rhymes in middle school and doing all this and uh grew up in all sorts of you know different genres of music but back in the day you know i was listening to a lot of like bay area gangster rap in middle school yeah. like brother lynch hung and Cougnut and Andre Nicotina and yeah. RBL Posse and shit like that. And of course, the content didn't exactly resonate with me on a positive, but it was the flow style yeah. that I just, you know, you put on like hip hop sometimes in your headphones and it's just like walking to school, bobbing my head, you know, I mean, it was just the best feeling in the world, you know? And so I just kind of um, went, went that way. So guitar 
was fun for me to mess around with, but I never learned how to play. Yeah. Uh, I learned a couple Green Day songs and Nirvana like everybody else. And mm -hmm. I learned a couple Tool riffs and Jimi Hendrix, this and that's and stuff that I could like show off to my friends with, but nothing impressive enough to like stick around for me anyway. Yeah. Lyrics and, and making beats and kind of the hip hop realm of things was certainly uh, what I focused on. Well, I like that you mentioned school specifically too, because, you know, I've always been uh, a lyricist for almost every project I've been in. And, and, and I really liked those, you know, creative writing classes and stuff like that, you know, back in, in high school or whatever, where you know, people would groan at the projects and whatever. And I'd be like, uh, what's the maximum words that I can submit? You know, like I, I want to dig in on this and, and play with it and, and figure out structure and find a voice and learn all these techniques and like you know i'd keep my vocabulary books afterward and kind of like thumb through and try to come up with uh new shit that i hadn't used before you know and like i i got along with uh crescent moon when we, we did a, a interview on that same same level like you don't you don't meet a lot of people who were like especially musicians who were like oh yeah this one class man i was fucking you know super connecting with that lesson that day and it made me go home and write a song yeah man you know? i'll never forget uh seventh, seventh or eighth grade or something middle school for sure though um sitting in science class and uh we had a pro one of our projects was to create some sort of original project around the periodic table mm. basically just to you know memorize all the elements somehow and all that stuff and uh our teacher showed us a submission from the year before as like an idea and these kids straight up created like a rap song, which I think there's some on YouTube. You can find them now, but like, you know, this is way before YouTube back in the day. Yeah. But these kids, the students the year before me created like a hip, a rap song around all the elements. And they, he showed us that video one time and I was just like, that's dope. It gave me something to focus on, you know, and, and I could, um, I just, I'll never forget that hearing all those, you know, and I wish I remembered it better than I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's just like, it was really inspiring to understand like, okay, here's something I like school, which I just don't even put any brain cells to ever. Yeah. Like when I'm sitting in class, I'm already on a skateboard or something. I'm, I'm checked out, you know, but here I am focusing because it's relating to something that I actually like in my real life. Yeah. That moment kind of changed things for me a little bit and allowed me to focus more on you know, academics or whatever. I just had to like turn the tides a little bit into my own realm. And once I realized that I could actually do that, I was semi-successful, you know, yeah. not the best student by any means, but was a little bit able to, to do that. And then I was, you know, then I was able to get into music, but music has always been a part of my life forever. I mean, when I was a little, little guy, you know, we had the record player spinning 24 seven and if my dad was in charge of it for whatever reason, it was Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, you know. Um, so you heard all the classics oh, growing dude, up, man. Yeah, I didn't hear any of like, that shit until I was like oh, 25. Man. No, it was Cream and Steppenwolf and like all the classic rock, you know. Um, the band and Bill Withers and all that. And then if my mom was in charge of it, it was more kind of that, you know, she's an 80s girl, so it was more kind of prince and the bangles and whitney houston and tina turner and right, queen right. and stuff like that so like and then on my own time my kids at school were listening to like gangster rap and <laughs> green day and grunge yeah. music and like 
you know, soon it became heavy metal, like Slipknot, Mudbane, Marilyn Manson shit, you know, like eighth grade freshman year. We got to be pretty close to the same age then. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm 32. I'm 30. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I was going to say, like, my, I mean, my mom was a, a different station in the 80s, but, you know, I grew up on Journey and Def Leppard and, sure, and sure. you know, Sammy Hagar and that kind of shit. Sure. I was named after Sammy Hagar, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Side note. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, uh, but like, you know, hair metal shit was Absolutely. What, you know, what I heard sure. when I was a little kid. Sure. And then uh, in school, man, like what, what you're getting introduced to, you know, like when uh, Nirvana comes out or when mm-hmm. like, uh, for me, it was like when I first, first heard Underground, punk rock was like what Mm -hmm. What the fuck is this you know never heard anything like it sure what was your like game changer record for you back then like do you remember a gateway album there's a handful of them honestly uh it depends like at one point in my life because that's the thing like i've been like where i grew up in the bay area for those folks listening and that live in the bay area you know there's a radio station there live uh live 105 Mm -hmm. it's just like the the rock station and i would stay up late at night and i'd make the little recorder cds you know you put in your blank tape and then you like hit record and play at the same time and it would record the radio onto your tape so that's how i was making mixtapes when i was in like you know 11 or 12 and i I always remember blur uh song Song number two yeah 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 but it was like this like it was the unicorn song on the radio though like everyone loved it because it's catchy as hell and it's Mm -hmm. two minutes and it like gives you enough but leaves you hanging kind of thing you know and so they would never play the song you know <laughs> and so i'd be staying up late staying up late and it would play most well and of course you always miss the first three seconds of the song because you yeah. got to do your thing but uh you know i, I that was just a, a fun thing i used to do i would say like gateway albums though for me at that point rbl posse the bluebird on my shoulder song and all these old rap songs and stuff and i've like, never heard it i won't yeah I won't no it's okay it's okay uh but you know and a lot of the stuff is just like kind of the is the underground rap at the time, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and a lot of these guys, and again, it was just kind of like, that was the first music I ever heard that was like, these kids are in high school. They were 16, 17. Yeah. Just like gangsters living in, you know, the projects of San Francisco and whatever, and like rapping about their life. And to me, all the music I had listened to up until that point was classic rock or 80s soul dance like whatever which is either like purposely trying to be poppy and positive regardless yeah or and very slick too. very slick yeah or like just dirty and raw like led zeppelin and shit mm-hmm. but either way i wasn't my music and that like gangster rap stuff you know i'm i mean i'm at a different point in my life now yeah. But, you know, 15, 16 years ago, I mean, that, that like, turned my life around big time. And just like, well, there's another world out there, kind of. Definitely uh, Tupac, mm, me when too. he came out, he's got a handful of greatest hits, but uh, it was a two-disc. 98. Uh, greatest hits. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Dude, I mean. Phew. I still have my every middle tra- school. I can pull it up. Every it track, <laughs> man. Because I had had like the Brenda's Got a Baby uh, yeah. single, maxi single, mm-hmm. and I had uh, uh, like California Love, and I had a dubbed tape of uh, All Eyes on Me. It was mm-hmm. like two and a half tapes or something, you know. Um, you know, so I'd heard quite a bit, but when the Greatest Hits came out, and on disc two, is the, they put on the, the jams, full hit them up. Oh, that you know, I was like thirteen years old. So I'm going, what the fuck is this? 
And uh, man, like that that dude just blew my mind on, in so many ways. Yeah. Like, you know, first with the Brenda's got a baby shit, and it's like, wow, this is some crazy storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like, this is about something. Mm-hmm. And then you hear him on Two of America's Most Wanted mm-hmm. or some shit like that, and you're like, God, the energy here just and the flowing, fire and flowing, yeah. oh my god, like you never heard a guy so like percussive and whatever. Because like you know, Chuck D was way before my time, and so mm-hmm. you know, hearing that shit in in you know the mid '90s, he's coming out with with just this preacher's fire in his voice and as a little budding punk rock kid you know i didn't like rap music really other than the beastie boys but i heard that shit and it was like wow Mm -hmm. that's that's some fucking passion i'm i'm with you and a funny funny uh side note on hit him up specifically so i grew up you know playing sports and all these things and uh in middle school i was uh playing pop warner football yeah i was probably i don't know fifth grade whatever and uh we had our pregame music and the coaches, uh, what do you know? We were like taping each other's ankles and weighing in and rah, rah, like little, little baby football shit. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> every time before we go out to the show or out to the, the field or whatever to warm up, we would play hit them up. Oh my God. We're like literally like 10 or 11 <laughs> and the coaches clearly didn't give a shit. We listened oh to it every God. week and, uh, dude, that's I mean, crazy. it was so hyped. And, you know, for those of you that haven't heard the song, I mean, like, it's an it's a heavy song. It's, it's a diss track. It's the like, song ever recorded. It, it is, dude. It is. And then, uh, you know, so I guess to answer your, with, with like, one artist, because, you know, I, we keep talking about the rap scene. At the same exact time, I'm getting, I'm, like, heavy into Pearl Jam and, like, Nirvana and Green Day yeah. and, you know, uh, Pumpkins and all this stuff. Yeah. Like, dude, like, that was a whole nother... And then it was like corn and like, Dude, you know, okay. stuff like that was a time though, like, like mid nineties was a time where you could turn on the radio and be inundated with great bands. All the songs are good. I mean, there, there was, yeah. there was some, you know, there's some shit, but like, sure, sure. but any era has their shit. But like, if you listen to that, that time, and so maybe it's just cause we're nostalgic about that period. Cause that's when, you know, our coming, well, we live in the complete opposite you know, time now. Cause like I'll listen to people who, you know, people who are a little bit older than me, who, you know, talk that way about certain 80s shit with the gated reverb that I'm just like, I don't understand this. But to me, like, you could flip to any, you know, any station, any rock station in the 90s and be like, oh, fuck yeah, Sublime, Beck, Chili Peppers, Metallica, fucking like, you know, just, there was so much good music happening at that time. And, you know, now it's a different thing. There's not even as many bands being pushed it's all like you know singers and 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 rappers and stuff for the most part but like man that time was like a a, just a creative fucking renaissance period like it got so many of us it started so many people playing guitar playing the drums writing songs you know and the crossover of genres was like probably the best part of it you could have so what you want on and then you could have smashing pumpkins come up next and then you could have silver chair who's 15 years old and you can have you know just like this great eclectic mix of alice in chains is a big one for me too just like the growl of like lane staley's voice man would just like still to this day uh just shoot you know shivers down my spine kind of a thing sound totally blind melon and all these guys and talk about tupac and things and and kurt cobain and you know, these artists were like, you know, when I'm a kid, I'm just listening to a song. Yeah. It's like, I turned some shit on. I'm like, dude, this is dope or it's not. And I skip on my CD and I skip to track eight immediately every single day because the rest of them were shitty. Really? You know, some, well, sometimes depending on how, how it was going. 
sometimes I listen to full album because it was like super dope. I yeah. got I got Pink Floyd um, Echoes, uh, which is another greatest hits the, uh, compilation okay. of theirs. It's a double disc, and every song on both discs for me is just phenomenal. So I I just have. I listened to it every night when I went to sleep. I turned the thing mm. on on my five disc changer, yep. and it would just play one, and then you know, super loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play the next one and keep doing it all night on repeat. But you know, they're just songs. When I was a kid for a while, and then just started like I started growing up, having my own mind and like thinking and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa! Like Tupac was like saying shit. Yeah. At this point, Tupac's gone, you know, yeah. but like Kurt Cobain's gone, you know, Shannon Hoon of Blind Melon's gone, Lane Staley's gone, like all yep. these people have like just died recently at that time and, you know, the mid 90s. But I just realized like who these people actually were and their music and music in general took an entire, entirely different turn for me at that point where I, where I was just like, you know, these people are not just making songs. This is their life work. Like this yeah. is what they're good at. And this is what these people have dedicated their entire being to producing is this music. And what I really appreciate about a lot, most of those artists is they give a shit less whether you like their music or not. They're not making it for you. Yeah. And I just really appreciated a lot of that. And you can tell when an artist is real, not necessarily that they're not, because I think all art, regardless if you like it or not, all art has a place somewhere. I try to respect yeah. all art for what it is, but you can tell an artist, music or otherwise, there's just something about super authentic, genuine art. Whether I like it or not, as far as like a fan, sure. I really try and appreciate where that person's coming from with whatever that art is that they put out because art is very vulnerable. As you know, you're an yeah. artist. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to just say like, okay, here it is. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, and you know? I think it's hard to <clears throat> separate that for a lot of people. Like, it's it's easy for me to just hibernate in here and focus on the song, and then focus on the album, and then focus on the mix, and then do the thing, and then afterward, I'm like, oh shit, I really hope people like this. But a lot of people, I don't think, can separate that when they go in to make the stuff. It's like, okay, well, you know, what's what's working out there right now? What do people want to hear? You know, and that's a really hard thing to do. And for me, something that's refreshing or that, that resonates as a listener is when I can tell that this song had to be written. Like, they couldn't wait to get this shit off their chest or they had this riff that was so exciting to them that this, this thing just had to come out. You know, that, that's what strikes me when you're talking about like authentic music or, or your genuine quote-unquote art you know, in music is like, oh, that came from a real fucking place, whether it's dark or light or, you know, fast or slow or whatever. Like, you can't quantify it necessarily, but you know when it's there. No, I, I absolutely hear you. It's like, you know, music, you know, music for me, you know, gives me goosebumps, man. It makes me emotional. Yeah. It makes me like, I could turn on, dude, there's like Incubus songs that'll show up somewhere on a Spotify playlist or like, you know, like who the fuck listens to Incubus anymore? Yeah. Like I personally, I'm a, I love them and they're way nostalgic for me back in the day, but no, they, they had but, some, you know, songs back oh, in the dude. day, man. And, and so many different genres. Talk about a yeah. band that in that time that were mixing genres, man. I mean, they were rocking like punk, hip hop, funk. Well, I thought they DJ, were a new metal like, band with the, yeah, they had oh, the fucking dude. detune shit with the DJ. And I was like, I don't know about these guys. And then I heard them do the, uh, had some acoustic single or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, 
this guy can sing yeah. like a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but like their music and so many different artists, but their music specifically, you know, I just have a lot of memories surrounding certain things at that time of my life. Yeah. So like any song comes on from Incubus and I, we're talking 15 years ago and I'm just there immediately. Yeah. And I have to kind of snap out of it. Like, you know, like it's so nostalgic and I, I just, that's what I love so much about music in general. You know, it's like, you know, things like Led Zeppelin and all this classic music, like love it, man. Bill Withers. I love, you know, James Brown, stuff like that. Like mm. it's incredible music, but it's not my music, meaning my time music. Yeah. Like I didn't grow up in the civil rights, man. I didn't grow up in, in the sixties. Like I just didn't, I can try to understand it as best I can, but that's not my time. Yeah. What is my time is the nineties and the two thousands and currently. And like, so when those bands come on, I, you know, I get a little bit butterflies and yeah, things and I, like I that. I think and, everyone has that connection to their own coming of age soundtrack, whatever that was, particularly people who are non-musicians. Sure. I feel like they, you know, tend to stay within that little bubble. Sure. For me, I've tried to, um, I won't even say tried. I've always uh, kept that little incubus of uh, that. Sorry, I'm using the band's name now. <laughs> that little nucleus of of the music that I've always loved. You know, like those old Green Day and Nirvana records and Smashing Pumpkins never went out of rotation for me. I might not listen to them like every week, but yeah, every month. I mean, and all of them. I kept the whole catalog and I grew with the artists. I like seeing where they went, even if it was a different direction that. You know, maybe I, I didn't like this one as much mm -hmm. or whatever, but like I like the the creative process and the journey to be able to watch that evolution. You know, I think Billy Corgan and Smashing Pumpkins is a great example of that because it makes you look back and wonder, like, I want to hear what that fourth Sublime album would have sounded like. You know, I want to hear yeah, what man. that uh, fourth Nirvana Absolutely. album would have sounded like. You know, like you you see all these great artists like. B.I.G. or Big L or some of these artists who didn't even get a chance to build a body of work. They had one album and then the, you know, the remnants, you know, the posthumous thing that came out or whatever. But like there's something uh, that I really, really admire about watching these people through time because we learn something every time. It's so easy to just crank out uh, music, or at least for me, that to step back a little while and have some life experience and speak from another perspective. You'll probably turn people off. You might turn some new people on, whatever. But I really like that process and on all the twists and turns that come along with it, as well as, you know, you'll see an, a band open for them and go, oh, that's really cool. And then you start following that band and your friend introduces you to so-and-so and then you start following that band and... Um, but for me, it was always great to keep that same core and grow outward from it, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like, oh, this this new band that I really like replaces this old band I used to like or something. Yeah. I don't know. Are, are you like that? Do you, yeah. do you continue to listen to the music from back then, or is oh, it more like you absolutely. go in phases? It, it, it depends, too. And I mean, you know, we, we're talking a lot about, you know, kind of the the 90s 2000s growing up which for me was so many different genres you know i mean i could i could sit here and literally name 50 bands man that i've been ha I've, I've had like 50 bands that have been my favorite band yeah. throughout my life yeah i mean literally every three weeks of my life you can be like dude who's who's like your favorite band right now yeah 
I promise you, I probably never would have repeated a band. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it, it's ever evolving and I've covered 20 genres. I mean, like... I made a point to like, just go, if anyone ever asked me this question, okay, it's going to be this band, it's going to be this solo artist or whatever, and it's yeah. going to be this album. Okay, <laughs> none of them intersect and they're never going to change. It's just going to be this because it's too hard to answer. But, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And, 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 you know, to answer your question... I absolutely do go back and yeah. listen to whoever I'm feeling. Yeah. And I mean, um, there's a lot of times, you know, uh, I try to run and work out as often as possible off the road and things just to keep my health up, man. Like, you know, we're just said we're at 30 now, man. Like we're not getting any younger, you know? And, and for me, health is something that's been a huge part of my life growing up as a sports guy, but I took a good five, six, seven years off between, high school, early college to now just yeah. because like I wasn't playing anymore and all this other stuff. So begin back into, uh, into the physical side of things. But when I do and I'm working out, I'm running, whatever, I pop in my headphones, I'm listening to any music. I mean, that could be like thievery corporation. It could be like some trance stuff. It could be like meditation. It could be rage against the machine. It could be mud vein. Like you know, I mean, it's just so many different vibes. I literally just kind of scroll my phone and Spotify. I'm like, yeah. eh, this one. And it's just something totally different every day. And talking about the transformation and these bands evolving and, and growing, two that really stand out in my life, who I've been a huge fan of all these these bands I'm about to mention, um, but watching them grow, Tool mm. and Rage Against the Machine were yeah. huge influences uh, to me growing up. And Zach D was kind of the first person before I found out about Eli and Grouch and Aesop and Slug and all this stuff. Like yeah. Zach was the first at the time, like rapper in a rock group. Yeah. And before Lincoln Park and not made in the it cool way, but like, yeah, it's in, like in a gimmicky way, just like But that's what he did. They invented that shit. And and not only were they just so fucking dope dude and aggressive and tight and the band was dope the and lyrics deep. were dope but it, exactly it was the heavy made you think whether you wanted to or not had something to say at the time i listened to it it was way over my head i didn't know shit about government totally. anything yeah. i didn't i didn't know what he was talking about but i knew by the convection of his voice that it was important that i knew that i learned about it you know yeah. and maynard was the same thing for me with tool it's like he is so obscure and out there i guess sometimes but if you like read the lyrics and you dig into what he's doing it's just can be very heavy in his own way and for me listening to that and zach d who are polar opposite lyricist and yeah. and delivering their lyrics meant a lot and in in uh 2004 i think it was someone will have to fact check me but 2004 <laughs> i think it was i went to um Lollapalooza yeah. in, in the Bay Area back in California. And it was the first year, I believe, that Audio Slave mm. and A Perfect Circle became who they were. I went to the festival and it was Audio Slave, A Perfect Circle, Jurassic Five, and um, Jane's Addiction. That's a lineup. And it was just, it was a lineup, but it was like such, so much different music and all this stuff. And then I became a huge fan of A Perfect Circle and Audio Slave, yeah. not even knowing at the time 
I didn't know until after the fact. Cause you know, again, this is like before internet's cool. Yeah. Like you don't know things immediately like you do now. Like it's not trending. Like no one's talking about it. So I didn't know that a perfect circle was, you know, another Maynard project. I didn't know that yeah. rage, uh, it kind of, you know, blossomed into, um, audio slave with Chris Cornell, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, so I was just like two dope super bands. And I finally realized who they were. And I was like, Whoa. And they didn't replace rage and tool. Yeah. But that became like a four pack for me connected. And it's yeah. just like, now it's like one unit of the dopest music I know about. And so you're that's kind of the catalog that, now. Right. Of like, right. Oh, well, I can't and, wait and, for the next one. And of one. course, of course, you know, rage did what they did and faded out because of Zach and his situation and all that and tool make an album every like 34 years or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So there's like not really a growth there to follow mm -hmm. and a perfect circle did the same thing. And audio slave had a, you know, a stint there for a while, yeah, but run. it like they replaced it timeline wise, but didn't replace it as in like, I listened to this and not this. Yeah. So that was a awesome evolve. And then one band I've listened to from the beginning till current is uh, Radiohead. Mm. And Radiohead's been a band that if you listen to their albums, even one song from each album, they're just drastically different. And yeah. I've really appreciated, um, I think Radiohead's one of those bands too that people like love or hate kind of thing. It's I feel like it's not really like an in-between thing. I, I, I don't know. I think that's like, probably right. It's just like the way I, they go about it in Tom York and like their style and all that. So. I kind of don't, I kind of don't like, I don't want to say Radiohead fans exactly, just the... Um, the indiscriminate hype. It's almost like a Paul Thomas Anderson thing in movies sure. that like, like, oh, this was just announced. Everyone acts like they've heard it and it's the greatest fucking thing that's ever occurred since Sgt. Pepper. You know, it's like, okay, well, look, they're fucking great. I love them, but like, you're, you're ruining this for me. <laughs> I want to hear it less now because of you. That's what you happens. That's what happens with Adele for me. Okay, you know? okay. It's like I like I love Adele personally, and her her talent is just fucking through the roof like yeah. i think she's phenomenal yeah but she's begotten and and lord was another one uh mm. they got to the point where like i was a fan of the music yeah that these women were were just crushing it yeah but unfortunately i would turn on a radio or i'd see a magazine or i'd see a commercial or whatever and or facebook ruined it and i was just like just man now she's on air. yeah and it's just like yeah. Now it's like the song that's annoying and I don't like because I just hear it 30, like it's in the grocery store Yeah, and like all this shit where it's like, dude, I just want that to be the dopest song around because it is. Yeah. But you just, yeah, you kind of desensitize yourself or whatever. It. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, man. But, I, but back to your point, Radiohead, when I first heard was, uh, I think Paranoid Android was, mm -hmm. that's the first music video I remember seeing. I, I guess I, I heard Creep on the radio, but mm -hmm. I, like I got OK Computer and I, and I really liked it. And then um, just because I've come from this, you know, guitar and drums and bass, you know, background, yeah. alternative and punk, that when they went Kid A and electronic and stuff, I just didn't follow it. Mm -hmm. And I remember when Hail to the Thief came out, mm -hmm. we were on a long drive and uh, Thaddeus from uh, Sprout City was yeah, man. with us. And he's like, you haven't heard the new Radiohead? You got to hear this. And he puts on Hell to the Thief. And uh, all I remember is just like, in the raindrops, in the raindrops, in the raindrops. And, and like, my whole family is, is in the car just looking at each other like, Thaddeus is not going to pick the next record. And like, yeah, <laughs> what the yeah, fuck? Yeah. And like, over time, once you, uh, I think it was in Rainbows that really got me back into them. And I was like, oh, God. 
like I'm I'm gonna start playing these old ones again because I kind of accumulated them randomly when I, sure. you know you find one for five bucks. Of like, course, hey, sure. And at that point, I was like, "Fuck!" They have such an arc to their discography. Like it is ridiculous. Well, that's what I mean. They've been they've been six or seven different bands in twenty years. Yeah. It's phenomenal. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of bands. You know, Chili Peppers have a lot of different sounds. Yes. And those are bands that are dope. I mean, there's certain bands like Rage. Like, you will never not know it's a Rage song. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. So a band like Linkin Park or something, like, you'll never not think it's Linkin Park. Like, they Actually, have their sound. Actually, that's not true. You know? That's not true. Like, no? uh, not anymore? No, I haven't my, heard of them in a my while. Folks were, my folks were really into them, and uh, they were saying something about that most recent album that came out just before uh, Chester Bennington mm-hmm. died. I remember him talking about uh, how a song had played on the radio a couple times, and then like the third time they heard it or something, the DJ gets they on realized. like, "All right, and that was such and such by Lincoln Park." And like, wait, what? Oh, you know, wow. it's like I think they're definitely a band who's changed and done some. I'd like um, to hear that then because over I, the years as well, you know, uh, Hybrid Theory is still one mm. of my favorite albums ever because really? like, <laughs> at the time, again, I was like this kid writing writing raps. Yeah. But like loving rock music, yeah, and like that wasn't a thing to do until I heard about Rage Against the Machine, mm-hmm. and that was super dope. But then he was just like rapping about a bunch of shit I didn't understand, yeah, and it was cool. I loved his rap style, and Tom Morello's a beast, and like you know, Rage is amazing. But Lincoln Park came out, and mm-hmm. they had like the rapping and the singing and the electronica and the like anthemy vibe and like all this shit, and you know, I was like you know, in a similar mindset, I guess, at the time. So it resonated with me and had that, that angsty teen thing going on. And like it, it, it hit a little better and it just gave me that confidence to say, Hey, like this is acceptable. And I remember the day I found out, uh, Chester had passed away. I put up a thing on Facebook mm-hmm. and I was just like, dude, like my memory forever of Lincoln park was literally getting hybrid theory, listening to it. And that song, Mr. Han, just like the DJ Scratch track, that's all it is. It's just like a DJ Scratch track. But I remember it being like, dude, this is super dope. That's hip hop. But I just listened to a whole rock album. But this cat can flow. And like, I don't know, it just like it it hit, it allowed me to to hit me where um, I didn't know I needed to be hit, I guess. Yeah. And then fast forward to coming up here and I ran into these cats uh, and, you know, started the band Simplistic Mm. for a couple of years. And that was hip hop, funk, soul, R&B, whatever. Um, but I was able to kind of do that like front man rapper yeah. with like a soul band, funk band behind me. And it was super dope. And side note, if you don't remember, we met formally through Whole Earth Nature School and the collab we did with them and all mm-hmm. that. And again, shout out to Matt and Anna. But... <laughs> the Illusionist <laughs> okay. and Simplistic. When you just said the name, I was like, God, that sounds familiar. Dude, check this out. <laughs> I can't I, picture I'm gonna where. Say, let's right. call it 2008, 9, or 10. Okay. We played at Battle of the Bands. Oh, my God. Locally jo- in Eugene John at John Henry's. Henry's. You were there? Uh, who, Black Delaney, I think, yeah. ended up like winning it. Yeah. Um, but that was it. It was us and you, and... There was a weird, like... Um, well, I get it mixed up because I was in two bands that played two different nights. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there was a weird, like, um, unless it was you, like a new, <laughs> new metal kind no, of no. band. Of, but they were like older guys. 
But anyway, that's yeah. But I've I've known you know of your work. Wow, that's funny. Forever. That yeah. that was a that I just have to stop here at this sure. moment because yeah. that was a a very significant night in my life. Like we got banned from the radio station that night for our set. Like I even wrote about it in my in my fucking book. And there's out of all the shows that I have video and photos of, there's like nothing from that from that night and i so rarely come across someone who was not in the band who actually was at that show so i was that's, absolutely that's funny at that to show me. man yeah that was the night where we recorded all the i took all the bits of shit talk they did about us making fun of our name on the air that week and uh when they introduced us uh we had the full like six-piece band up there i said something like uh you know you might have heard these these uh guys talk about us making fun of us a little bit on, on the radio. And, um, uh, well, now it's our turn. And so I grabbed my iPod, and then I pushed play, and we all just sat down on the stage. And I remember that those battles being really packed, mm-hmm. you know. And they were like, yeah, man. It was just, it was shoulder to shoulder in that room. And I just remember kind of, everybody kind of dart around the room with their eyes a little bit, like, okay, what are we listening to? And then it started to get like worse and worse the shit they were saying and then i would edit it to make them sound dumber and then people started <laughs> to like turn their heads a little bit and then they're like trying not to laugh and then they're really laughing and then people are looking at us like what the fuck did you just do yeah and uh i love and it. then we played the set and i remember we had this uh song we would randomly just slip in a punk song into the into the live band rap set it was called eat my shit and it was just about having a bad day but mm-hmm. i i um the one of the DJs who was um, who had been pestering us was standing right there off the side of the stage, and I, and before I introduced the song, I said, "This next song is called Eat My Shit." And I turned to her and I said, "This one's for you, Giggles." And every, you know, in front of everyone, because she's she's visible. There's no like off behind the curtain side stage. She's right there front of everyone and i remember getting a call the next day they're like they're having a meeting about you guys i don't know what's going on i was like really this is great <laughs> like, press is press <laughs> yeah, yeah i was like what is happening right now and, and then yeah they they banned us from the station but man that was a fucking crazy a trip, night yeah I, see and now i don't feel so bad about like not remembering the rest of the show i mean that was literally probably i mean that's close to 10 years ago too man yeah i think it was probably like, oh, 2009 09. or 10 yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Man, you know, we weren't so, we weren't connected at that point, but I certainly yeah. remember the illusionist and that was another thing too. When I came to town and I was 19 at the time. Yeah. And I came to town and I was like, "Yo, like I didn't know about I wasn't in the music scene like I am now." And I remember seeing you guys. I was like, "Yo, like live band hip hop. This is what's up." And then I was live band hip hop too, yeah. with funk and all this shit. But you guys were like kind of That's kinda funny we didn't play together punk, more. And we, I think we, I think we squeezed another one in at Speakeasy, maybe. Okay. Um, that was. But anyway, there's just a lot. Another one. We played that that fucking place so many times with my other band, and then we played there with the Illusionists, and uh, uh, I won't say her name, but yeah. um, the owner of yeah, the place, yeah. I would, I would text her and be like, "Hey, you got this date or whatever," and she wouldn't respond. And if I would respond about the other band, or if I'd write her about the other band or some other project, or like, "Hey, I'm, you know, got a new acoustic project. If you need an opener, I'd be like, oh sure, jump on this one, you know." But if I'd say like, yo, the illusionist, uh, we're trying to drop a new record on whatever, like, do you want to, nothing. And then finally I went down there and I was like, what's going on? Like, why don't you get back to me? She's like, yeah, I just don't think it's a good fit. I was like, you had another rap show here like three days ago. What's going on? Yeah. And she goes, look, you, you do bring 
people. Like, you guys packed it, but, like, you, your fans are there for you. They don't drink enough. She's like, they're, they're there for the music, not, not for the beer. I'm like, I certainly heard that fuck. one as well. <laughs> and so we never played there again. That was a tangent, but I just had to throw it in there that, you know, that was another one of those things, though. Again, though, we're, we're just kind of talking, you know, how it came up and stuff. But, like, nowadays... You know, I'm a, I'm a keyboard player that plays didgeridoo in a reggae band. <laughs> yeah. But if anyone ever says, like, what do you do musically? I would always say, uh, like, I, I don't ever call myself a rapper by any means. Sure. Uh, but I would, No one I, wants to call themselves a rapper, well, though. There's, you know what I mean? There's a song like, about that. <laughs> no, and I'm not, dude, I'm not hating. I mean, you and I have many, many mutual friends. Uh, no, who, I'm saying who, I don't yeah. either. When, when some stranger or like family member or whoever is like, "Oh, you play music? What do you do?" I'm like, uh, "I'm a punk singer." Yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> tell uh, them that first. I'm a producer. Yeah, you know, and then down the list. Oh, you tour? <clears throat> Did you band tour? Well, I tour as a rapper. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm 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 with you. I guess I would just say that I'm, I focus more on the more on the lyrical side than instrumental side. I guess. So so when did you actually? Call to arms, we're going to fucking, you know, start a project. Me and my friends, we're going to make some music. Like, when when did that uh, first happen? Yeah, so I would say the first time I did that was when I moved to Eugene and, and Simplistic got together. That and, was. And what city was it in the Bay that you came from? Novato. Novato, okay. Yeah, about, um, it's like 20 minutes, 20 miles rather, uh, about a half hour. Depending on traffic or three hours, depending yeah, on what time yeah, of day yeah. you're driving. But uh, about 20 miles north of San Francisco. Okay, okay. Just paint the picture there. Yeah, sure. All right, so you Just come up here, um, 07-ish. Yep, late, late 07. And you linked up with uh, these guys. Now, did the band exist yet, or you kind of formed it together? No, I, I moved into a duplex house with my buddies from Cali, and we moved in next door to a bunch of cats from Eastern Oregon, and... Um, we just got to bullshit as like, who are you guys? Who are you guys? Like just getting to know each other is like a, a bro house, basically of like eight dudes that live in this big ass house. And, um, it was just like a Craigslist thing. Yeah. You, yeah. You, I think we just like, my buddies and I were trying to like not go South cause everyone I went to high school with went to Chico, Santa Barbara, yeah. LA or San Diego. Or, and I was like, you know what, dude, if I go to Chico, I'm going to end up dead or in prison like in a month. So that's dumb. We came to Oregon cause I had some great, great friends um on his sister they were already living on campus going to u of o so okay. i came up here to visit them just to visit them and like hey they're in college let's like play beer pong on the lawn and shit i'm 19 like dude live it up you know came up here to visit and all of a sudden i was like yo eugene's pretty dope looking for another spot to play came up here and uh you know just everything kind of fell in the works and it worked out um but i found out through these guys i moved in next to that they're good friends from back home, where they're all from, uh, in Hepner, Oregon, of all places. I don't even know where that is. Dude, I've lived it's, here my whole life. It's almost, it's almost, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, like, um, they're going to kill me for, for not saying this properly, but basically it's, uh, you know, in the eastern Oregon, like LaGrande area, general area, Pendleton area, almost Idaho, basically. Yeah. Um, it's way out there, but. In the vast nothingness that yep. is eastern Oregon. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and so anyway, <laughs> like these, this big group of people, they had like, you know, 20 people graduate in their class or whatever and like they're all good friends and like 15 of them moved to eugene to go to u of o and they're all good friends so they all lived here at the time three or four of those guys played music and they really they found out that i make beats and i rap and i just was like jamming on guitar or something on the deck one day or whatever just fucking around and they're like yo like you should jam with my buddy he'll come over and 
chill later. You guys should introduce. Boom, they introduced us. You know, my my real good friend Kevin Drake and Jeff Kern came over. What did they play? Kevin plays guitar. Jeff plays bass. Okay. And um, we just started kind of jamming, dude. Just kind of campfire jamming style in the living room, you know, just like hanging out and like, what do you like to listen to? And we all came from three different backgrounds of music, which is always fun. And yeah, we just started getting into it. And uh, all of a sudden I was like, yo, this is pretty dope. Found a drummer. And then we started making music just to have something to do. And at that point in my life, it, it I, I never even envisioned playing a show. I never envisioned touring. I didn't think this was like a thing to do. I was just like, I've never been in a band, dude. I just like finally have something, someone to hear what I'm writing. Yeah. Because for 10 years, I had just written my shit down in it's, my books. It's just and that's a, fine. a thing I like to it's do. Fine. I didn't know, make it for anybody else. Life. I didn't make it to record. I didn't, you know, it was just, I don't know. I didn't really grow up like that with with, with music as a goal. Yeah. And it just kind of happened. It fell in my lap. I was like, yeah, let's just ride the wave. And Simplistic was a band here in Eugene for th- uh, three plus years, you know. We played the circuit and we did all these things. It was super dope. And then... Most of the guys are older than me, so they graduated and moved on and started families and poof, gone. Yeah. And then um, I was in about a four-month hiatus, pretty bummed because Simplistic was moving and I was loving it. And It's hard and to then, keep uh, everyone's uh, motivations and intentions on the same page, you know, and, and especially and, with an age difference. And their intention was never to have Simplistic be the dopest band ever or tour the world or anything like that. And mine really wasn't either yeah. at the beginning. But then it became something that I grew to love Got unintentionally. And then when it separated out, I was kind of like, man, this is something I really grew to love, dude. And all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. And it was really tearing me up. Had about a four-month hiatus, and then I fell into Soul Seed. So that's 2010 2010, yeah. Yeah, okay. Sweet. And were they a, a pre-existing group at that yeah, point? Yeah, Soul Seed, Soul Seed started in roughly 2009, 10. Um in southern oregon okay and uh um the boys started jamming in uh jackson creek pizza in medford at an open mic and uh somewhere in high school and it was just kind of like a something to do yeah. and um with the guidance of a, a musician a guardian angel i guess um frankie hernandez down there he kind of took soul seed under his wing and was just like yo you kids are like you kids are legit you know, you're young, you're 17, 18, 19, whatever, but there's something here, man. You're, you're rapping, you're, you're writing and you're singing and rapping with substance. Your music's dope. Be my backing band. Became his backing nice. band. Um, started playing a couple of shows, started was, playing Southern Oregon. Was that reggae too? Yeah. Yeah. Reggae. And uh, he came up, they all moved up to uh, Eugene to kind of visit further life and go to school and see where music could take them. Including the guy they were backing, or, or no, separate from no, that? Frankie had stayed there. Okay. Frankie's kind of always been a uh, solo artist mm-hmm. with with his music in a backing band, but they moved up here and um, tried to just find their own adventures. And we met through a, a mutual friend on a chance occurrence, and um, this mutual friend had actually been begging me for a couple of months. He's like, "Sky, you got to come out." And check out this reggae band here in town. These kids are great. They're they're new in town. Soul Seed. You got to check them out. You got to check them out. I'm like, dude, I'm so fucking busy, bro. I go to school. I got three jobs. Like, I got Simplistic. Like, thanks for the invite. I'll see them some other time. Yeah. I was just, you know, life was happening and it just wasn't a priority. He probably invited me to five shows, man. <laughs> Never went to any of them. Yeah. These kids show up at my house one day 
And one of them's magic, our drummer, he's wearing a Soul Seed shirt. Mm. And I'm like, oh man, Soul Seed. Like my buddy told me about them. He's like, we are them. I'm like, oh no shit. <laughs> like, that's cool. All right. And all of a sudden we just started talking. I'm like, yo, what are you doing? I, I was in a band Simplistic. We just separated. Like I rap, I play didgeridoo. It's kind of funky, I know, but like, it's cool. And yeah. uh, you guys want to get like, together. What are you guys? Yeah, like? right. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys want to get together sometime and, and just, you know, jam or whatever? Because I was Jones and dude, I had got yeah. that, got that fire burning with the music and then it was you know, get put out. I was just like, man, I want to do something. So I just started jamming and all of a sudden one thing led to another and they had the music, but I had the contacts in town. Okay. I had already knew the, the luckies and Oak streets and John Henry's and Sam bonds and like mm -hmm. had all those contacts because of uh, simplistic. So I helped them with that and like immediately so you've been jumped booking them since the day one with them. Oh dude, I've been booking well with simplistic too. So probably, yeah, probably about 10 years or so. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it was fun. So I just, and it was, it was just kind of like a, yeah, let's just jam. And then we like made an album and then we're like, yeah, let's, yeah, let's go to the Bay area. I'm from the Bay area. What the hell? Let's go to San Francisco for a weekend. Well, that was super dope. Okay. Nice. Well, let's go to Seattle. Let's go out here. And all of a sudden, boom. So tell me about the first album. Where did you record that? The first album I was a part of is Grown Deep. And, uh, we recorded that at home in the in the dungeon that was around the same time 2011 i think okay. yeah how many albums have you done um i've then? been a part of three mm -hmm. so grown deep family tree and the spark and uh the boys had uh an ep two eps rather um before me mm -hmm. that they didn't really release release you know Just they had like out some they, CDRs. yeah pretty much pretty much yeah. yeah grown deep was the first like album that we like how do we put this on itunes and how do we print yeah cds and like i remember getting that cd too and it was like we had our own booklet because uh -huh. simplistic never had a cd you know we made one in the dungeon too but it was like we printed out five to like give to our parents and shit you yeah. know uh but i remember getting that booklet dude and you just open it up you're like whoa like this is yeah it's legit our shit you know and it's like, like that, you know that feeling you got when you go to the record store as a little kid and you you buy something with your own money and you mm. take it home you know and, and just like you were saying about zach de la rocha you know like yeah like you open it up and you're like, ain't seen a brown skin man since the grandparents bought one. Oh, Holy man. shit. You know, like I've had so many just Lyrics, deep man. moments by opening the booklet and thumbing through there. And, oh, oh, I recognize this guy's name. Who else? Wait. And then go dig through your CDs. Oh, he makes this other guy's album. Like, wow, oh, that's fucking, you know, like so many mm -hmm. connections and that finally have your own like that in your hand is such a great experience and and every time but especially the first time yeah like that's well it was surreal man it really was and like that's a big thing that we have been we have been so um proud of uh growing up as a band for the last six years seven years um is uh you know soul seed is lyric based mm -hmm. and um you know, everyone has their own beliefs and things like that. You know, we're not preaching anything. We're kind of just sharing what we believe in and and uh, hoping we can have people listen and open their minds at least and hearts and just like hear someone out. But it's awesome to have the lyric books. Yeah. We make sure to have those lyrics available for free online because, you know, I'm, I like double tongue rap and shit all the time. And mm -hmm. so people are like, whoa, that's really cool. But I'm like, like, that's all yeah. they hear on stage. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting there like, that was super dope. Like, but what the fuck did he say? Yeah. You know, and, but then I'm like, hey man, like you can go online. The song's called this, mm -hmm. go online, look at the lyrics. And then you can like, 
you know, I used to do that with Bone Thugs and Harmony when I was a kid. And I'd like pull up their lyrics on azlyrics.com or yep. whatever. Yep. And they'd just be like, you know, and half the words are probably not actually words, but I'm just like <laughs> reading along to the lyrics that are at least on there. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden I like got it. Yeah. And it made the music make more sense and I can just flow all of a sudden. And did you, do you, you ever know, do this when uh, you buy a CD and you'd be really into it, but like, especially a rap album or something where they didn't go through the trouble of printing all the words because there's just so many. Sure. And so you're like, oh, it's just got pictures in here. Fuck, you know. <laughs> and so you go to the internet like that and uh, uh, I would actually like print them out sometimes and uh, and just have stacks and, or, like, or binders the, uh, of, of shit like uh, me all you know, time. lyrics from all the all the albums that uh, they didn't actually come in the booklet. <laughs> Absolutely, I did it all the I time. Was that man. kind of nerd. I went through a I went through a pretty heavy Tech Nine phase for a while, mm. and um, he's he's somebody that I've always really admired. Um, and I, you know, with my lyrical content, I say and don't say certain things. Uh, I just you're not talking about hoes and stuff. Not too many hoes. <laughs> okay. Here here's the thing. Like, if I had hoes in my life, <laughs> I probably would, you know, bring that into my music sure. world. Yeah. Um. You know, if Why I was doing, you know? if I was doing, you know, GHB on on Wednesday nights and shit, I would bring that into my music. But I'm not, <laughs> you know. And so, uh. But one thing about tech is like, lyrics or not, dude's got flow, oh, and yeah. he's got. 10 different deliveries and he's just phenomenal i mean the way he dances on words and beats is amazing and he's one of those artists tupac did this a lot too but he's one of those artists where like you're you're jamming on his cd and i'm just in the vibe because i like his shit mm -hmm. and then he has like the random guest oh yeah and 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 like the random guest, like sixteen bar verse, just like ruins the whole song. Yeah, and it's like no disrespect to like that particular person. Yeah, it just doesn't vibe. Like they're homies and text throwing them a bone, and like I get it. Yeah. I understand the the business now, but like it it like ruins the song for me a little bit. So I'm like, dude, I'm not here to listen to you, dude. Like this is yeah, no, working I'm, for I'm me. with you. Like <laughs> like rap features can either be the best thing or the worst thing. Totally. Like when you grab a CD and look at the back cover. And you're like, oh shit, you know, they got Snoop on this one, like yeah. they got, uh, you know, Dell on this one, like, oh, I'm gonna pick this up, sure. I gotta check this out, you know. Sure. But then every now and then, for, like for every album like that, there's Tupac and the Outlaws, you know, oh, where he's got like four other dudes in between his two verses, yeah. and you're like, why? Yeah, <laughs> I totally know what you're talking about, man. So, um, you do the first record, you do some weekend uh regional shows and at what point do you guys start really really getting some traction 2013 we had been playing playing uh west coast northwest um and uh you know hitting the scene pretty hard montana idaho washington oregon Cal uh, california mm -hmm. went over to hawaii uh wow. played a couple weeks it was it was awesome it was growing for sure you just rent all your gear when you fly over there, or how does yeah, that work? Yeah, uh, we rented some gear. We we met some friends over there, and you know, just had a connection. Who knew a guy? Who knew a Shared guy? Kind of a thing. And, and yeah, and the, the, the island just works, man. Yeah. I mean, first of all, reggae music is pop culture over there, right? Totally. So for every Justin Bieber you have here, it's reggae over there. Nice. I mean, it's just it's phenomenal. Like, so uh, we're playing regionally and all this, but the drummer uh, Magic and I, 
were working full-time jobs yeah. and uh the other guys are going to school and one way or another like all five of us at the time six at the time were going to school or working or both and it was just like you know this is really dope but like we're getting burnt man you know how it is you're yeah, up till three hard. four in the morning and if you're traveling anywhere you got to drive home uh, i mean you know you got to get up you got to go to work you got to have you know do all this shit yeah that burnout is is real it, like, it is do not it, underestimate it <laughs> it is real man and now i've been in it for a long time and i understand i, I can prepare myself again I, I take my health very seriously when i'm at home because when I'm on the road, it's not always my choice. Yeah. And I know that now. You're but back the in the day, the I was, yeah, back in the day, dude, I was just grinding, man. I'm like 23. I'm invincible. I could eat whatever I want. I could fucking drink whatever I want. I could party. Like it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, but we realized that like between school, work and music, something I had to give. And it was like, well, like if I drop out of school, my parents are going to kick my ass. If I drop out of work. My landlord's going to kick my ass. If yeah. I drop out of the band, I'm going to kick my ass. You yeah. know? It's like, it was a very calculated decision. We had many sit downs and meetings about it, uh, but we decided that it was kind of a shit to get off the pot. You know what I mean? It was like, we don't mind being the weekend warrior thing, but we just felt honestly that soul seed was bigger than that. And we wanted to see where it could take us. And we were willing to put in the road miles and to, to put in that grind to see what would happen. And um, so we decided you know, January or whatever, three months from now, you guys get prepared, start saving up and shit. Like we're going to fucking drop work and, so and finish up school. Quit your jobs. Same time. Everyone finished up school or dropped out of school. Everyone wow. quit our, quit our jobs. And it was soul seed full time. How many members are we talking? We're talking, uh, well, we're talking the, the five current uh -huh. and we had a saxophone player at the time too. And he, Stepped away from the band, uh, 2015 maybe, maybe 2014, strictly because like he's a music student and he wanted to just pursue music professionally in another realm. And that was fine. And we love the guy to death. I mean, there's no hard feelings at all. He was just like, yo, while you guys are making this move, I just want to tell you like, I'm not going to do that. And we're like, yo, man, it's all good. We're home. Play with yeah. us locally. Well, and honestly, that's the, the greatest thing to know it, now, it as opposed to no, like that's you're out up. there doing it, and then they try to bail, or like there's resentment because mm -hmm. you know you want different things out of it. Like, great, you know, we want to go this way, we want to go that way. Cool, let's just call it what it is. Absolutely, you know? and it was it was it was beautiful. It was it's a grind, man. But it, you know, the way I explain it is, it was literally like we just had to jump in the ocean and see if we could swim, and we're still swimming. So it's been four, four years, years later, <laughs> none of you have had to pick up a, a regular job since then? No. I mean, there's recreational That's jobs out here. crazy in, to Depending me. on where you're listening to this, out here in Oregon, the laws are a little different. So there's all sorts of work to be had, you know what I mean? And people can, people can be I trimming. I think I read between and, the lines on that. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you know. like I've... So, I mean, this yeah. is something I try to figure out my whole fucking life, how people <clears> do that. I've, I've never been able to... I mean, I quit my job one time but it was like five months later i had a new job and i'm still at it i'll put it this way it, it's scary as hell man yeah i grew up i grew up in a very blue collar house i grew up in a in a uh with a pops who just worked his ass to the fucking bone dude and my mom did too yeah and um you know we lived in the bay area which is one of the most Expensive. wealthy areas around but if there's a poor kid in the bay it was me 
Yeah. And anywhere else, I, I, you know, I wasn't without. I don't want to make this sound dramatic. For sure. But comparative to the life I grew up in and everyone else I knew, like, we didn't do family vacations, like, to Disneyland and shit. Yeah. We, my parents bought property and were like, in 20 years, you'll thank me. And mm -hmm. as a kid, I'm like, this is fucking dumb. I don't want to go <laughs> to the woods and be, like, cold in the snow for five weeks, you know? Yeah. Like, Anyway, nowadays I'm like, yo, thank you so much because the times we live in now, all I want to do is go to the woods by myself and walk yeah. around. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it was it was intense. I mean, it was very scary. It was very risky. Um, but again, it was as calculated as we could make it, and it was not something that I I personally ever sat there and said, you know what, I'm down. But if it doesn't work out, it's all good. Like mm -hmm. it's all good, and I'm I'll go back to work. That wasn't an option for me. Yeah. It's like, dude, if I'm going to fucking shut this down, the job I had at the time was working at the local YMCA with uh -huh. the kids. And I've been doing that for like 15 years. I'm like, dude, this is like a life work that I do. This is a passion that I have working with youth, you know, being a mentor and things. This isn't some fucking stock job that like I don't give a shit about that I could just shut down. And, you know, if I need another one, whatever, I'll pick one up. Like, this is something I've worked really hard for. Yeah. If I'm going to shut this down, it's going to be for a reason. And I made that decision and went for it and I haven't looked back since. So what was your what was your guys strategy that you enacted in January that, that was like, okay, so we've we've made this decision and you know, we've all pulled in a couple of bucks and so now we're gonna hit it hard, which means what? Did you guys then spend you know, a buttload of time on the road? Did you get back down to making another record? I mean what what was your plan at that time how did how did your lives change then i would say we've been averaging about 150 shows a year maybe for the last four years or whatever on the road you know um just off the top of my head and playing nationally now at yeah. that time it was basically west of the rockies so yeah. it was you know all of the west coast plus montana utah wyoming arizona Colorado, things like that. So yeah, more or less, that's what I do too. Is from like right, mini, similar you know, Minnesota, Texas, whatever. I this, see your routes. This the square, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, east of, or west of the Mississippi, kind of a thing. Yeah, because totally. the East Coast is its own beast. You know, like yeah. Once you get over there, you have to go back. Yeah, exactly. And we're, we're twenty five hundred miles away, man. Like this isn't just some like, you know, fucking fly there on your lunch break bullshit. Like you know, I'm not yeah. Bruno Mars, dude. Like I can't just fly yeah, to the each road fucking crew gig like, yeah give me a break no way <laughs> i mean you know dude i see your shit online too man like we're, we're both fucking driving 10 hours a day yeah you know playing our shit for five fucking hours you know sleeping for three hours and doing it all over again and there's something sickening inside of us that makes us enjoy that shit <laughs> you know but it's also hard as fuck like I, there's yeah. no way around it but at the time we had decided that this was worth it and we're gonna get after it and we did and we put our head down man and i just kind of stepped into the role of booking agent mm -hmm. he's quote marks and band manager quote marks well and someone always falls someone into has that to role. sure 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 and i just like had a little bit of experience if i could even call it that with simplistic my previous band mm -hmm. um but at the same time i just kind of had that attitude of like like i work hard yeah. And I'm down to do that. Like that's, that's what I do. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing for years, man. I'm still growing. Of course I'm, I'm nobody. I've been we doing are. it for 10 years, but like, you know, so, like somebody's always better than you. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it, that classic saying, someone always knows more shit than you, than you do. And it's important that you stay humble that way, you know? Yep. And I always am like looking for guidance anywhere I can find it for sure. And giving it whenever I can. A lot of these local bands here in town look up to me 
as that person of like, Scott, you've been doing this forever. Like, help me out. It's like, yeah, what do you want to know? Like, this isn't a fucking secret, dude. Like, I worked my ass off well, getting and, this knowledge. And, and you nowadays, can have it. You nowadays, know? you work for other artists as well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you're saying how do you, you know... Uh, maintain or not have a not have a side job or secondary job or how do you maintain your income and things like that um for me i decided instead of taking on another nine to five mm. um i realized that i enjoy booking bands i enjoy working with other artists i enjoy seeing my friends succeed i enjoy seeing people with the dream achieve it yeah and and chasing after a goal and capturing it and making another one and um so our lead singer, uh, Mikey, and I started up a production company, uh, Freedom Thought Productions. And yeah, we basically take on, you know, indie indie bands. I mean, we're not big time producers or anything like sure. that or promoters, but, and I, you know, we don't have a front at all. I just say, hey man, like I've had that struggle. Like I didn't have anybody growing up in the music world yeah. to say, hey Sky, like, like don't play that show, man. That's not worth it. Or yo, <laughs> you, you need to have that combo with that dude. Yeah. Make sure you call them back within 24 hours. Like, don't say that in an email. I didn't have all that shit. I had to just learn the hard way and grind through it. And nowadays I just hope that I can kind of take a lot of that stuff and eliminate it from other people's headaches. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I picked up Freedom Thought Productions as like an extra way of income a little bit to help my friends out and help other people out booking shows and shit. But we started touring relentlessly. I mean, we hit four or five tours that were four to six weeks. In nice. a row. I mean, dude, we'd fucking be gone for six weeks. I'd come home, kiss my girlfriend, you know, clean my fucking house, leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, you do it too, dude. And mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, you do that like come and go come and go come and go which is the which back is, to back shit is sucks like oh yeah I, it's intense i swore like a year or so ago i was like man i just did the one where you you know i i went off and then i was home for exactly one week and then went off again and i was like never again mm-hmm. and then i did it twice this year mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, i mean there's only so many good travel months of the year you got to cram well, that- it in when you when you can, you that's know, that's a big, that's a big thing. And, uh, I'll save the freedom thought side of things and all that maybe for another check. So sure. that's a whole nother rabbit hole I can just go into. But when you're talking touring, the weather is something that, you know, growing up in California, man, I remember playing fucking roller hockey and shit Christmas day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Ride roller hockey out in the street. Yeah. yeah not, no problem. not ice hockey, like a roller hockey t-shirts and a beanie. Like dude, it's 60 degrees Christmas day where I grew up. Yeah. And nowadays we have the fucking ice apocalypse that like blows up trees and shit. I mean, like, yeah. And we're only, you know, on the West Coast. I couldn't imagine Chicago, Boston, whatever. So, like, you're right. When you travel the Northwest, you do have a sweet spot of like, what, five, six months if you're lucky? That's half the year, depending on where you're going. I mean, honestly, you're probably cool from like March till October, honestly. But like, I've been snowed in in October, it, <laughs> you it, know, in certain places or like we it had that rains ice real storm hard last in July. year. I did a fucking, uh, I did a January leg this year for the first time ever. And it was, it was a mistake right away. Like other shows were being canceled because of the big ice storm that was up in, uh, in Portland. People were like, are you still coming? Like, yeah, we're still fucking coming. What are you talking about? Like, we're dead fucking serious. We're going to be there, you know? And then like all the people who had, 
RSVP'd or texted us and was like, yeah, dude, I can't wait to see you on Saturday. You know, and then we're getting all these people nah. that day like, yo, I'm not going to leave the house yeah, for sorry, the next bro. week, man. Like, this is this is terrible. There's three don't inches of ice here. in the streets. Don't come here. Yeah, they're like, don't come. I'm like, don't come. I'm already here, man. Like, we, we just did it. Two-wheel drive for a hundred miles through this shit, man. We we made it. You can make it. And but but it was like well, we played for twenty people because, uh, you know we we fucked up. And I was like, okay, lesson learned. No more January. I thought it'd be fine going from Portland to into California, you know. But uh, just gotta rule that one out. You know, you learn every year something yeah. else. Oh, well, my nature's the boss, man. Yep. And that's straight up. That's one thing we learned on tour and. I could talk to her all day. I mean, I I love it. You know, I I love talking about all the all the aspects of of touring and things good and bad. But one thing that you just don't fuck with is Mother Nature, man. Yeah. Period. I mean, we traveled the South this year, for example, in the fall. Man, we left here. We left here when the fires were happening in the summertime, August. or whenever that was, August. Yeah. yeah. So we left here, and the whole Northwest is just incubated in smoke. I mean, mm -hmm. like, couldn't go outside, like, hazardous levels fucking. Yeah, I got it, home right dude, in the middle of that. apocalyptic shit. Like, I've never seen anything like that ever. Red um, sun. Dude. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't go outside. It's like it's like snowing ash yeah. outside, you know. Like on your windshield. You and so see we it. leave, and we were supposed to drive through the gorge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we couldn't because the gorge closed. is closed because there's fucking trees that had like blown onto the gorge and they're on fire, like trees, yeah, uh, uh, like on fire. So we had to go through Bend and that was fucked and scary shit. Anyway, we end up going through the Midwest, which had its own, which always has its own weather. Mm -hmm. And no matter when you're in the fucking Midwest, a tornado is always terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and you never know when that's going to happen. But then we were literally driving directly toward. Uh, the Hurricane Irma. <laughs> and we missed it by like four days. We show up in uh, Athens, Georgia. Yeah. And um, was our first show, or uh, Atlanta, I think. And uh, it had kind of dissipated-ish. But in like 10 days from then, we, we were set to be in Jacksonville. And Jacksonville oh, had just gotten fucking smashed. Yeah. Miami is like underwater at this time. Like, dude, we have no idea what we're getting to. We avoided it. We were safe. We were good. But, like, that's one thing I'm talking about. Like, this tour is booked six months in advance. I think that's what people, like, don't understand. People yeah. that aren't you and me yeah. don't, and, and rightfully so. I'm not, like, pulling <laughs> ignorance at all. It's just, like, this isn't their life. They don't understand, and that's fine. Totally. But this shit is done. Our reality is if we don't play the show, we don't get paid. Right. And right. so... And, and, you know, you, you do the tour to get the record out to people, mm -hmm. and you're not getting the record out to people. So it's like, well, if we're, if we're cutting this out entirely, that's not only a financial strain, but what are we doing out here? You're wasting time in some hotel, spending money instead of earning it. It just kind of defeats the whole purpose of, like, wh why am I 3,000 miles from home right now? And if you, you don't have, if you don't have the back like the people you see on TV do, it's on you to get your own word out. Yep. And and I'm you know, I feel ultra blessed that we live in an in a, in an era right now that is social media. Yeah. Because a little fucking nobody band like me can be out there and have my shit on Spotify and Pandora and mm -hmm. I could be like, "Yo, Sammy, we're coming through fucking BC Canada." Like just turn it on and be like, "All right, bro. Yeah, I'll see you. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm listening to shit over the phone right now. It's fine." Yeah. I can't I literally can't even imagine 20 years ago. How bands a tour mailed anyway? You a tape. <laughs> mailed you a tape. How you even booked a gig? How you found out where the address was? Following a foot uh, phone book, following a roadmap. Yeah, 
I mean, that's just like, you know, the, you know, the most like fucking millennial statement ever, but no, I wanted the same but, thing, but like, I literally um, think like, how the fuck did these guys do this shit? I have every little tool on my phone that I could possibly need or want or desire. Gas buddy? A gas I just buddy, learned absolutely. about that one. Absolutely, man. I got all these food apps, dude, like Yelp, but like all these different food apps. I got like all the shit that, that tries to make it as cush as it can, Yeah. but we're still struggling. Totally. I still miss an exit. I still drive 45 minutes out of the way because Siri's fucking stoned. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's just weird shit, and I couldn't imagine back in the day how you actually got a promoter and got somebody to give a fuck or how you got on the radio. Like, podcasts didn't exist then, so how do you get on yeah. the radio? How do you... So it's just... It's a... Uh, dude, I remember, like, uh, in, uh, I don't know, probably my late late teens when my band's putting out a CD, it's like, okay, so uh, let's go and find every college radio station, you know, within 500 miles and put together our little packs and mail them to people and like, yep. you know, never hear back from 90% yep. of them. And yep. you have no idea if you're actually getting played, but you sure sent them, you know, and like, okay, well, hopefully that helps. Now let's, uh, let's go book those cities. <laughs> Like, I don't know. Yeah. Play the quad for free during lunchtime and see if anyone gives you shit and buys your fucking album. And if not, give them a free one anyway, because <laughs> you want them to be pumping yep. it in the dorm. And Well, dude, and I used to do this other thing, too, where I would make the album that's, you know, you sell for $10 or whatever. And then I would make, uh, I would actually print maxi singles, um, mm -hmm. you know, on CD where it's uh, the album cut, the edit cut, and then two B-sides, you know, that aren't on the album. And I would give those away. And like one of my friend, uh, uh, Bodie, uh, we were playing a show together in Portland when he, he was coming through on tour. He said something on stage about how he like he quit his job and he does this, you know, uh, for a living now. And uh, I was chatting with him after the show. And I was like, man, that's really cool. Like, you, you know, you quit your corrections officer job and like now you're <laughs> out on a rap tour. Like, you know, that's badass. And he's like. Uh, and, and I told him, I was like, you know, that's, that's really where I'm, I'm hoping to go. And he goes, can I make an observation? He's like, did you notice after my set, immediately after I stopped playing what I did? And I was like, no. Oh, wait, no, you handed me a, one of your business cards. And he's like, yeah. Now on the back of that is a, you know, a download for my whatever. And he goes, I noticed that you're doing that at your table, but with actual CDs. He's like how much did you pay for those things? I was like, 350 bucks. He's like, yeah, okay. You can get a thousand business cards for 35 bucks or something, you know, and you've cut your cost down by this and they're still getting the music. He's like, I'm telling you, I know that from our era, it's all about the physical. He's like, but, you, but you've got to at least acknowledge that the stuff you're giving away for free, you know, like that can't be a financial burden to you at the same time and i was like yeah that's actually a really good point you know and i started trying to separate that so one it's easier to get it to people you know and i'm grateful for that and i realize people don't pay for digital music most times these days you know i even resist even though my shit was free on Bandcamp and whatever right next to the cd that's for sale I really resisted putting it on Spotify and, and mm -hmm. title and whatever because I just didn't I didn't like it. I don't like it. I don't like how it's hurting the record stores. I don't like how people just don't care or value yep. it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that to unpack in there. And I I reluctantly did it and I do think it's a good thing for people like us to especially if you're 
traveling and you're going, oh yeah, we come from here and, and, you know, we're playing the show on, you know, Friday, that they can just have that however it is that they listen to shit. Like it's, it's invaluable to give people that access. And it's something that I have to work on, but I know that it's true. It's definitely a good time for us to live in in that way, that it's so ubiquitous, you know, and you can just be part of those channels if you accept, you know. I didn't want to accept, but I, <laughs> I've accepted, you know. They, they, they twisted my arm sure. from there. Um, so when you guys hit the road, like I usually put together like a bill, you know, of three acts. Um, do you guys just go out by yourselves or do you bring some other band that you're friends with to open or, or do you guys just go out and be like, we got a two hour set? Definitely early on, we were just playing three hour nights every night. Damn. Honestly, looking back on it, I'm kind of like, holy shit. Yeah, that's crazy. But like I'm old now. And I'm just like, I don't know, you know, three hours, that's a lot of music. I mean, Paul McCartney like, does that. You yeah. Know, nobody else does that. Dude, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it'd be a lot easier if I was making like 10 mil a show, though. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, you know, for us, it, it, we didn't know better. I mean, literally, like, it's kind of a joke, but we tell radio stations all the time, like, dude, we didn't know you took breaks. Yeah. Like, the sound guy doesn't ever fucking tell you to take a break. Yeah. You know, you just play your shit, and eventually some band's like, we're going to play one more and then take a break. You're like, okay. <laughs> no one's keeping track of time. They don't know if that was an hour or three hours or whatever. <laughs> so we would just play nonstop. Just well, either nonstop or you know, someone's got to like take a leak, and we'd be like, "All right, well, we're gonna play one more, and then take a five minute break because dude's got to take a piss or like you know whatever." I mean, like just for us, it's t- I think I think that's where the worlds you and I live in. Well, I guess you're in both though, but like the difference between like band. And maybe a pair or something like that. I don't know. I think it's like with us, with a band, I would say now I appreciate playing like a 75, 90 minute set. And we call it just kind of that fucking, you know, punch set, you know, just that like power hour set of just like, boom, 75, 90 minutes hard. That's it. That's hilarious to me. Or we play like three hours, which is fine, but we play like, we play probably three hours. We'll do what we call two seventy fives, you know? So two hour and 15 minute sets with like a half hour break. And that'll be our night now because we're like professional about it. Dude, that's fucking crazy. Back in the day, we used to just, we used to just play fucking an hour and a half. And then someone be like, dude, like I'm, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm getting kind of burnt out. We'd be like, okay, let's take a five minute break and like yeah. walk outside quick or like whatever, and then we just play again. Man, you know? like, I'm like, I come from you know the punk rock background. Like, DFS just did two headlining tours this year where our set was at most 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And like when I go out and do like a headlining rap tour, you know, openers are playing for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, support acts are playing for 30. You know, I'll go up there and do 45. And it's and maybe it's just the nature of the styles of music, but it's like, that's plenty. Mm-hmm. That's fucking more than people want. Sure. Like, read the room. You know, if, if I'm getting a certain vibe, they're like, oh, these songs are going way better than these types of songs. You know, in this room, like, I'm going to cut my 45 down to 30 and leave these people with a good taste in their mouth. But I can't even imagine. I never in my life have I played a 90-minute show in any kind of music like that's 
See, to me, that's to crazy. Me, I'm I'm literally the complete opposite, man. Huh? I could not even fathom playing only a half hour of music. Is it because of like? Is it more of like a like a jam environment? Is it more improvised, or is it just like not, no? We just come out there with you know thirty songs. No, I would and, say okay. So so when you go to a bigger concert, whoever yeah. your favorite band is, yeah. If they're like somebody that everyone else fucking knows, right? Yeah. They're at that level. Uh-huh. They're playing at most 90 minutes, probably, like contractually. Like fucking Bruno Mars is not playing four hour sets. Now, no. Paul McCartney might want to. The fucking Stones do it. Yeah. I've seen the Stones four times. And they play two hours at least every time. Yeah, Metallica. I mean, know, dude, yeah, road so, so dog bands so, would do that. Yeah, and, but that's all they know. Some of those bands want to and, and do that. I've also been to many shows where the headliner band who you pay that fucking $75 ticket for mm -hmm. that band plays 45 minutes and they're gone. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm about to go fucking slash some tires, dude. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm pissed. Like, what is that? You know, you know, it's, it's, it's all, of, of course it's all expectation. That's what you want and, and desire, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. For us, we bring multiple genres, many different vibes, highs, lows, you know, ska, you know, borderline punk shit, like dub, deep, reggae, thoughtful music, playful music. Yeah. Marley covers everyone fucking sings to, obscure covers no one else knows, didge jams, random shit. And, yeah. and people just kind of get this ebb and flow of our night all the time. And what's funny is that nine times out of 10, we'll play a three hour set mm -hmm. and people come up after the show and be like, dude, like, uh, you guys... Like, are you guys done? <laughs> like, it's 1.30, dude. The bar doesn't close till 2. I'm like, yeah, dude, we've been playing yeah, since, we're, like, 9. We're tired. <laughs> like, where the fuck have you been, you know? But the thing is, like, they're vibing on it so hard. Do you play with other bands? Or you just we, book we, a show out yourself? No, we do. And that, that's kind of what I'm saying is, like, nowadays, we definitely book more tours like you would mm -hmm. or that, that are that are billed. So we're either the headliner, support, whatever, but we play with other bands. Even if you go out and you have this epic set, are you just being hired as the house band or is it like, oh, we've got three locals and then you just guys play for an eternity? Totally like, depends that, on the show. That's really interesting to me. I'm fascinated so, so by this. So, for example, uh, this last weekend, literally Friday and Saturday night, yeah, we just played, uh, we drove out to Moscow, Idaho, uh -huh. played three and a half hours, drove down to Boise, played three and a half hours, drove home. No other bands. That's it. Just us. Okay. Okay. Now that makes sense. Now that, that, was, that was us then. Two months ago, we drove to Seattle. We were the first of three bands, uh -huh. one from Arizona, one from fucking Chile, actually. Yeah. And we played like a 45-minute set. Yeah. And that was it, because we're the support band. So it's just And they're like, cool with that? Like, 45 minutes for an opener, I would be turning off people's amps no, and dude. punching things. I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> I'm always begging for more than that, what, and they're not going to let what, you play more than well, an no, hour. No, 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 Not as the artist. Yeah. I'm talking like as the, as the opener. You're playing 45 minutes. I mean, if they don't know who you are and they're paying for the, yep. the other act, that's a lot. Like, I just saw a show this summer where Thrice, one of my favorite mm -hmm. bands, was the support act on the tour. And they've been around since 2000. Yeah, a long time. 2001. And they played 30, you know, and got the hell off. And I was like, fuck, I want more of that. Oh, that but also, it's not their show, so I get it. You know, like, it's... It's crazy to me that uh, well, that you can go out there in, in a different style of music than I'm used to, and like 45 is a, is a regular support slot. Like, I would say I would say a standard is at least 30, 45, 75. 
Mm. But on a later night, if the venue will have it, yeah, 45, 60, 90. Man. You know? And it depends. Wow. I mean, if there's that many bands, we're going to do that. Now, again... Are these all-ages shows? Are these bars? Are mm, these... Mo- I mean... We're, we're trying to... We're trying to we're trying to get to the point where it's more venues, less bars. You know what I'm saying? Ain't that the like, goal? You know, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. everybody's goal. Yeah, but it's, it's like, a dream. It just depends, I guess. You know what I mean? Like we we have played, fuck, dude, we've played like five hour sets at like ski resorts and shit. Man, like no shit. I mean, yeah. we play like noon to six with like two breaks because Damn. we're just like literally like. The entertainment. That's why you guys get the paid whole more fucking than me. day. Well, I mean, dude, I'm fucking with you. I'm fucking. With well, you. probably not by much though. That's kind of the thing, you know. Is it's not necessarily. That's what I think people don't understand too on the artist thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I book a show and they say, "Hey, what's your going rate?" I'm gonna tell them. I'll be like, "Hey, like I want this much money." Yeah. And they're gonna either look at their budget, regardless of any factors I gave them, mm-hmm. and say, "Dude, you're fucking crazy." Yeah. Like no. And what am I gonna say? Okay, well then, if you can't pay us, we're not coming. They're like, yeah. all right, fuck off. I got thirty other emails looking for the date. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, actually, um, okay, give us dinner and two <laughs> beers, and we'll play it. You know, I mean, that's that's booking is is finding yeah, finding those hard. compromises sometimes. Totally, you know, because like I was saying before, a night off is more costly mm-hmm. than. Of course, the financials help you propel what you're doing. Mm-hmm put gas in the tank feed yourselves put you up in a fucking room if you don't have a homie we can't man mm. i mean soul seed camps more than first of all any band i know yeah. but secondly because we're just a bunch of fucking backwood hippies from eugene oregon i mean that's our life anyway well i know a couple like, dudes who travel with the tent all shit, the time dude it's fucking 10 bucks max yeah instead of a 80 dollar hotel room every night no mm-hmm. thank you i mean we're not making that kind of money dude yeah like i mean we usually get like maybe a hotel a week just to like have a decent shower and a good night's sleep so you got the funky van oh we well we got a <laughs> we got a nice we got a decent bus you know but we oh, can't nice. sleep everybody super comfortably all all the time yeah you know what i mean so we you know, we see, but we are definitely like not fucking diva at all. I mean, we, yeah. you know, deal with some heavy shit. But, you know, regarding the, the, the touring and stuff, you know, we, we started with these kind of loops, these two-week runs, and mm-hmm. okay, we can handle that. Three, four-week run, okay, we can handle that. Five, six-week run, okay, we can handle that. And a couple of years into it, our, our lead singer was like, you know, man, I like most of my mom's family lives in uh, Florida and New York, like East Coast ah. family. And we're like, okay. So he's like, you know. And that whole, like, well, I got family. They're like, they'll come out. I could get at least 15 people at those shows. We're like, fuck yeah, sweet. And a place to stay. Yeah. The reality is, like, most of them aren't coming, and, like, you're not actually in touch with them. So, like, we'll see if we get a place to stay. But it was that incentive of, like, fuck, let's go to Florida. Yeah. Why the hell not? Let's go to fucking New York. Why the hell not? You know? So we traveled through there, and all of a sudden, we did our first national tour. was nine weeks. Damn. Dude. I maxed out at six. Dude. I'm here. I'm going to give the listeners a pro tip. Don't go on tour for nine weeks. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking, I was like, man, that's brutal. That's, that's brutal. That's some free inside scoop uh, knowledge right there. Well, you guys didn't break up, so that's good. No, man. Like, we were cool on like a personal level, but dude, we just ran out. I mean, like, yeah. like our bus was just like, I mean, it was, it was dying out. Like, our gear was getting rusted out like our, our physical bodies were just kind of getting exhausted and tired and people are getting sick and like yeah. we were good on like a homie level you know we're super tight and like we're solid but 
it was fucking intense. And we got home and we're like, yo, we can't do that. <laughs> and then, but then I look at the calendar. I'm like, yo, how do we, cause in my mind, it's it like, made so you want to go back out and <laughs> well, right. But in my mind, it made sense. How am I going to, how am I going to tour the entire country and not take nine weeks? Like that's how long it took us to do it. Well, and that's what I tell people when they're like, Oh, when, when are you coming out to New York? When are you coming out to Philly? When are you doing? And it's like, Dude, I would love to, but that's so fucking far away that I got to play all the shows just to pay to get there, and then all the shows when I'm out there, and then all the shows to get back. Like, dude, I can't take, you know, yeah. eight weeks off of work, man. Well, that's like, a big thing. Is <laughs> That's what we started realizing, though, is I said, how can we do this legitimately? And yeah. we decided either we're going to take eight, nine weeks mm -hmm. and just prepare for that better fucking deal, and that's how it is, or we're going to drive from here to fucking Atlanta mm -hmm. and start tour. Yeah. And then drive from Rochester, New York home. Yeah. Period. I mean, we're going to drive four days across the country because it fucking takes it that long. Yeah. We're going to just eat it all the way down to the South and just deal. And then we're in the South and we can just hit everything. Cause that's another thing too, is like the East coast has so many quick cities. Everything's two yeah. hours away on the East coast. Yeah. Everything on the West coast is well, six, four, six hours away. You could go you know? out there and have a much more profitable tour, like geographically. Right. But then you'd have to get there and back. Exactly. Which, so it then it's out. a wash. It, it's <laughs> a wash. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I think at least us, and I won't speak for you, but just having an idea, you know, of us being independent bands and musicians. Yeah. Like again, making the money helps keep, keep the families fed and happy and, 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 uh, staying positive and supporting us in this keeps us grinding on it and shit. But like, we'd be fools to think that, I mean, it might happen and we're all striving to get better and bigger and make more money and do all the shit. But like, sure. it's also a reality thing, you know, and we have this talk all the time in soul seed. It's like, you know, some of us are really optimistic mm -hmm. and some of us get pegged as like pessimistic. And I have this like when you say get pegged as I feel like you're talking about you. Oh, it's me. <laughs> but I, I have this I have this thing of like instead of thinking of myself as being pessim like having pessimism, I'm more think of like realism. Yeah. Like to me, realism and pessimism are very similar. They're neighbors. They're neighbors yeah, for they're sure. Cousins. Whereas like optimistic is just like thinking and hoping and envisioning the best case scenario, period. Yeah realism to me isn't always like this shit's gonna suck but i just personally prepare myself for if this shit sucks yeah a i can fucking deal my ego's not crushed i'm not gonna be sad i'm not gonna like doubt myself and all this shit but i'm gonna also be able to fucking react and move forward versus having all these expectations that's the thing we have in the band like a mantra in our band is no expectations it's, period it's good positive to have or hopes. negative sure it's good to have hopes sure it's really hard on yourself to have expectations. My, the way I th think about it is expectations can only let you down. Yeah. Because if you fulfill an expectation, then you're just kind of like, whew, like, oh, fuck yeah, dude. Like, that's awesome. Like, yeah. I'm glad that worked out the way it should have. It's like relief instead totally. of excitement that it actually well, it's went not well. Even, you can't have yeah. excitement. Exactly. Because like, it just, like, the bar is set too high. It's already the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. But if you fail an expectation depending on what it is and how you've set yourself up, you can fucking crush yourself. They'll eat you up. And that's very dangerous. And I just, I think that's kind of my sports background a little bit of just learning that shit early on of like having that discipline and stuff because it can be very detrimental. So 
in our band, of course you're going to get excited. You play with the big ass band you admire. And all yeah. of a sudden, like the first big band we ever opened for the first band ever, uh, was in 2013, I think, or something like that, 2012 or whatever, but it was slightly stupid. Nice. And for me growing up in the Bay, they were the first band after sublime that like made American reggae, American reggae. I mean, like they're icons, you yeah. know, and they were, I fucking listened to them for years growing up and shit. And all of a sudden soul seeds playing with them. Like what the fuck? Where was that show? McDonald theater. Awesome. Crazy awesome. dude. It was huge. I mean, it was just like, you know, it was so much bigger than I think we even realized it was at the time. Yeah. Cause we didn't even know what the fuck we were doing yet. <laughs> you know, we were just like the only reggae band in the Northwest. So yeah. they hired us as local support Yeah, <laughs> and it worked out. But that's something where I'm thinking like this night's going to be this and this and this and this and this. And it was all those things, but it wasn't a couple others. So the night almost has like, it didn't fully fulfill what I wanted it to be because I set myself up for failure a little bit, you know, yeah. and, uh, it just is dangerous. So I try not to do that. So that's another thing about touring. It's like, you know, every show is every show, man. We've played certain rooms in this country. We've played 15 fucking times. Mm -hmm. 13 of those have been, you know, quote unquote sellouts or just huge crowds or like whatever, great vibes, good merch nights, whatever. But the other two shows have been an off night or it's summertime in a college neighborhood yeah. or it's this and that where you don't know about it. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter who you were last time you were here. Mm -hmm. <sighs> That's a hard thing about being underground. It's a fucking sobering thing to do, man. You hit a place like, uh, enough times, you know, you think you're, you, you know, you built something up there. Like the shows have got a little better each time. And then you go back there and it's crickets and you're like, fuck. Like I, I thought we were getting there. That's the expectations killing you because it's like, oh yeah, you know, I I'm thinking that because of this and this tonight's going to be dope. That I don't have tonight's, to have, yeah. you know, I can let my guard down about tonight. It's like, you know, just just always be a little cautious. You never know. Mm -hmm. You never know. No matter how many times you've been to a place, uh, what's going to happen? Because you're depending on the weather and and the the promotion and the schedules of a hundred other people that you maybe were hoping would come out to the show you know like you have no fucking idea with all of those variables what's going to happen so we've talked a lot about the road i just want to uh, before we wrap up what is your uh, latest album that you guys are supporting right now the spark is the most recent album um you asked earlier what the first album was that was grown deep mm -hmm. uh, we recorded that at home we followed that up in 2014 with family tree which we recorded locally here in eugene at telos studios oh yeah i did um, a, if, if you guys follow my work you would have seen uh, that place in a lot of the stolen songs mm. sessions videos on yeah. youtube and a, yeah, cou yeah. a couple of those early uh, albums we recorded there and uh my band judo pony uh jason johnson ben schaff worked out of there as well that was a that was a great studio yep. ben ordonez used to own that place yep yep yeah yeah chris uh chris reeser put us up and took care of us it was phenomenal man like it was the first studio experience we had ever had mm. and we learned a lot good yeah. and bad i mean we learned a lot about engineering what it takes to make a record actually hanging out in the studio which is totally fucking different than playing live holy shit yeah we played live only for like four years and then we're like, let's cut an album in a studio. We were not prepared for that. <laughs> yeah. We just learned a lot. But then fast forward uh, this last February, um, we're coming up on a year already, holy smokes. But this last February, we released The Spark. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, I think most, most, if not all of us, are most kind of proud 
work so far. And I think with an artist, it usually is because you're just all ever evolving. Is whether other people like your shit when you move on. We were talking earlier. Yep. You know, sometimes you're like, I, you know, they've been around 20 years, but I love their first two albums only. You know, that kind and of. And don't thing. you hate when people say that shit sure, to you too? Sure. Like, yeah. Like, oh, uh, uh, do, you, do you hear the new shit? Yeah, man, that's really cool, dude. I still play that first one all the time. I'm like, yeah. I'm glad, but. Any requests? This it's one's like, yeah, way better. Can you, right? can you play the one you wrote thirty years ago? It's like uh, I have some new stuff too. Yeah, yeah. We're not we're not here for that. Dude. Yeah, we want the hits, bro. Um, so so where'd you, where'd you do the uh, yeah the, the spark? S- the spark was also here in Eugene, and that was at Tracktown Records. Tracktown. Uh-huh. Uh, Tracktown where? Records down in the Whitaker. Okay, I don't right by uh, right around the corner from Hot Valley. They're they're in a warehouse. I don't think I've been there. Um, tucked away on purpose. They're just kind of kind of chilling out. Okay, I vibes. might know what you're talking about because we used to have a we used to have a practice space over where Blair Alley Blair Alley Arcade is now, uh-huh. and there was a little there was a little hole in the wall thing a couple blocks mm-hmm. from there. Yeah, I bet that's probably what. Yeah, yeah, it is. it's yeah. um a handful. It's kind of traded hands as far as who owns the warehouse here in town, but they've really styled it up. It, it's beautiful. It's a really professional studio and. I love Telos and I love our boy Chris Crude who produced Family Tree and mm-hmm. fucking we learned so much and we grew up a lot together. But Tracktown is just um uh another level. Like those guys are just different engineers. I mean our engineer Victor, you know, was an engineer in Brazil for 25 years. I mean the guy's been working on like reggae music around the world for 25 years. He knew I mean, we swapped out snares every fucking song. I yeah. mean, we, different bass tones, different amps. Like, I didn't know you did any of this shit. <laughs> I played like nine yeah. different keyboards in the studio instead of just like the one that I use, that I usually play because it has like a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a different sound. Yeah. And I didn't know any of that mattered. I didn't know like you do that. And these guys would be like, no, like. We're the producer. That's what a producer does. A producer like walks you through like what might sound good as an objective mind. And see, and now um, this is the benefit of having not just a nice place to record, mm-hmm. but having a producer who's experienced and knowledgeable about your style of music. Huge. That, like that's Game the biggest changer, thing because I've recorded in places that are you know, much nicer than what I got here and turned out not sounding nearly as good because, you know, maybe this guy's used to making jazz records or maybe this guy's used to, you know, something else that's different than what I'm hoping to get. So you can play him a couple albums as a frame of reference, you know, whatever, but, like, they're not hearing it in the way that you're hearing it. Um, but when you go to a guy like that and he's like, oh, dude, I, I hear what you're doing and we're going to take this song to the next level. Like that's the shit that is so rare and so invaluable in, in taking those songs from the practice space to the record, you know. That's what makes people like Rick Rubin and Dr. Dre exactly who they are. Exactly. Because it doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, look at those guys. I mean, clearly, you know, Dre is, is rap, but Rubin's been all over the map forever, mm-hmm. you know. And if you look at his catalog, you're like, holy shit, how did he work with all these different fucking people who would have never been in the same circle yeah. other than they, than they have him in common? And they're able to, to, to take an artist for who they are and put their own flair on it a little bit, but they see the potential in things. And that, that's like its own skill. It is. And, and, and he, even as a producer, is more interesting than most because a lot of them have a... 
even if they don't have like a go-to that's their permanent, like, oh, I always use this mix engineer or whatever. They kind of have a, a stable of, of connections that they work with that, that have created their kind of signature sound. A lot of producers have that kind of signature sound. Like, you know what the drums are going to sound like on a, you know, on a John Feldman record or, mm-hmm. you know, Andy John's record or something like that. You, you kind of know. Um, but with him, he's so much more just about getting to the truth of the song and stripping down to, like, the, the heart of it. And I think that's a, a super rare thing. Like, I've even heard stuff from him that I thought sounded kind of bad. Like, oh, you let them master it like this? Or like, you, mm. wow, that's surprising. But like, if you listen to the songs, like, oh, yeah, no, they're, they're fucking great songs, though, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, to find somebody who has both of those, who is going, oh, I hear what you're doing. He's listening to the arrangement. He's listening to the lyrics. He's, He's doing amazing, all this stuff. Man. But then also going, oh, do you remember that keyboard that we used three Thursdays ago? Mm-hmm. We should use that for the bridge of this one, you know. And it's like, oh, oh, this whole thing just came together, you know. You're, so, you're absolutely right. You know, Jeff and Victor were the main guys working on that album, and they just did such a phenomenal job working with us and changed everything out. And our mastering uh, um, engineer, um, Jocko, out of uh, Syracuse, New York, who's worked with John Brown's Body and many other big reggae bands in the industry just put their own twist on it, you know, but that's the difference is like our previous producer for family tree, bless his heart. He's a good family friend of ours and, you know, not hating at all, but he's a, he's a, he's a rocker dude and that's cool. Yeah. But he does rock music. He's a rock drummer. Mm -hmm. Um, Reggae is a very specific sound. Like all genre genres have their own clicks and things like certain things are higher lower fatter whatever well and especially you guys who are an amalgamation of multiple genres sure you know like mm-hmm. that that's a special thing in and yep. of its own yeah you know and it was it was so great to go in there every day and trust them and it went very quickly from like hey guys this is what we want to do to like hey guys what do you think we should do Nice. And that's just a totally different attitude because, like, we already have the music prepared. Yeah. The music is there. Let's actually record the feel. Because the hardest thing for me in recording a couple albums... Yes. No, you're right. ...is putting... Is making your album sound a fraction energetically... Yeah. ...to what it's going to sound like live. Yeah. You know? And I'm not saying cut a live record. I'm just saying but having that energy... Vibe. Yeah, because and the essence of the song is in totally. the feel, and sometimes and sometimes the cuts. space between the notes is more important than what you're yeah. actually. You playing. do six takes and you're toast. Yeah, you're just kind of like, dude, I was emotionally invested five takes ago, but I couldn't wrap it properly, and I got my words fucked up, and I had to start over again, and now I'm just in my own head, so now I can't even wrap it properly anyway. I got to do this shit tomorrow. Yeah. Then it, you're like, you get kind of frazzled. You know what I mean? And it can just be difficult when sometimes that raw first take, yeah. even if you flub a note or you, you, you add that extra, you know, that breath in between raps or whatever, it's like, dude, I know that's there, but that's there. Like the rest of the shit sounds so fucking raw. Yeah. Like if I just keep drilling this and drilling this and drilling this, all of a sudden I'm polishing a turd, dude. And I'm not yep. trying to 
not trying to make it make it something it's not, and then becomes overly produced. Yeah, and you over edit it and do dude, all this shit, and dude, then you're, that's the danger the, zone, man. <laughs> the the name of my company is Take Ninety Two Music, yeah. and that's because of those nightmare sessions where we did ninety two takes of a fucking guitar part, you know, my old band, and it was like, this is not the way, you know. And when when I started doing this shit, I did it almost to a fault of like just first take keep it you know and i learned the balance of those two things of the 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 perfect sound and the heart of the actual song and these walls used to be totally black yeah and have nothing on them and that was because it was like you're not here in the studio you need to be present in the moment of the song and if it helps you you know in your head you're on stage and you're you're in front of a sold out crowd and you're opening for your favorite band and all this sh- and like you want to give the best energy of this song. You don't want to just be like going through the motions. Okay, if I mm-hmm. if I make this, you know, every little syllable just so well then maybe you've lost the human quality of yeah. what made that song interesting on yeah. stage. I'm such a fan of live music. Yeah. Like live like there's a lot of live music I don't like genre-wise. Sure. But like I would rather listen to anything live mm. than on a record. Like if I, if, I, if I just don't like a certain genre of music or something like that, but someone's like, you have to listen to this one way or another, for sure live. Mm. You know, just be, just because I think there's something to be said. I love listening, like we we're talking about all these nostalgic albums earlier, right? Yeah. There's something about it. When I hear that Incubus song, it's the same fucking song that I've never heard any other way, mm-hmm. but I've heard that song that way 500 times. Awesome. But now going forward, now that I'm a, my own musician, I would rather watch the same band play the same fucking set I've seen five times. Yeah. But if they do it live, there's a different guitar solo. The rap mm-hmm. comes out a little bit different. The drummer does a different fill here. They do a random breakdown there. They speed it up here. They throw in a fucking cover in the middle of the song for no fucking reason, but they want to switch it up a little bit. Yeah. Whatever, dude. You know what I mean? It just like keeps it fresh. And that's the hardest thing about being in a, in a studio is being authentic to yourself and to the music, but also keeping While it trying to- raw. And, and after a little bit, you do so many takes. It's like, dude, I need to do that tomorrow. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I know I'm ruining the whole day here, but like, I'm just kind of going through the motions. I can hear myself. Well, and, and one thing that I do a lot is on a new song that, um, you know, maybe I'm, I'm tracking for the first time. It's not uncommon that I will do a dozen takes, vocal takes, rapping. And usually what happens is I'll do a few and I'm listening back and it's like, okay, you're trying to kind of figuring out the right amount of push to give it the energy, you know, and then once you find that, you're like, all right, cool. And then... I do a lot of rewrites while I'm doing it too because you're listening to it back with your own ears and going, oh yeah, this mm-hmm. should be this word and this could be cut out entirely and this and whatever. So do that and then maybe you chop a couple takes together, you make your comp track and you're like, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, this is it. And then once I get it like edited perfect from a couple of takes and like exactly how I want it, I'm like, cool. 
no, I'm going to do that. Yeah. You know, and that's like, I just, I did that record with Cerebral yeah, and yeah. he was in here the other day for a, a feature that. and we have that routine like he and I now where we do that, you know, he came in and he was doing a new thing. He had it memorized. It was sharp, you know, but we're listening back to a couple of takes and I'm like, Hey, can you maybe raise your, your pitch just a little bit or like make, make it a little more conversational? Like, don't be angry at this song. Do you know, okay, we'll try this tone. Oh, that tone works really well. Can we change this wording a little bit? And oh, yeah, yeah, that clean, you know, and then we work that out. All right, cool. And then you chop a cup. Yeah, I think those are the best two takes. I'm like, you happy with this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I am. All right, let's do the real take, you know, because he, he knows that's how yeah, I do it. And we it always up. got the best thing that's doing smart. that. Like, even sometimes when you work it, if you can do that to the point where you, You've taught yourself how to do it. You haven't, like, you haven't cut the corners by doing everything in the computer. Mm -hmm. You've used the computer as a songwriting tool, basically. And then you're going, okay, all right. Now I know how this song yeah. re really should be, you know, and, and kind of um, using that to elevate your performance. Same way with, like, taking a song out on stage sure. before you put it on the record of, like, Oh, I didn't know that. We do about that all the time, man. You know, we've written probably half the music we've put on the last three albums we've written in the bus, or they've come out of freestyle jams on stage. Yeah. Because we're just on the road so much, man. Like, we're on the road so much that we don't have a lot of time to practice as far as like band rehearsals mm -hmm. um, because we're just on the road. And so when we're on the road, we're like, shit, we've played the same handful of songs the last couple nights. And we were talking earlier, we got three hours of music. Mm -hmm. That's fucking 30 songs or something, you know? I mean, whatever. So we're up there just kind of jamming, like, hey, let's just do like a D minor dub style. Yeah. For like five minutes, like, see what the fuck happens, you know? Whatever. If it's dope, remember it. If it's not, fuck it. Yeah. We'll do it tomorrow, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, with the Spark, it was very intentional, though. It's, it's definitely our heaviest record lyrically, for sure. We're living in an intense time right now, no matter what side of the fence you sit on with all this bullshit going on yeah no nobody's um, stoked right now <laughs> nobody nobody's stoked and i don't think anybody's complacent like nobody yeah. it doesn't matter who you're fucking rooting for or what team you're on like everybody is uneasy everybody's on edge everybody's you know just everybody wants to feel comfortable but nobody can and that's a very tense moment for everyone to be in you know and so our music is just kind of bringing up some of those things and and you know i dude i just you know really respected that track you put out man that fucking went viral like oh thank like, you dude, wildfire congratulations yeah. man that shit was wildfire it fucking caught on kept seeing your post like hey it's up to this many views <laughs> i'm like no shit i kept going to your page like dude and i kept hitting you up too i was like yeah, man yeah. this shit is fucking happening right now dude. i couldn't like, believe it man like the it's fucking unbelievable hours it was heavy like Ten thousand, like I've never had a video hit 10,000, and the next day it was 30. I'm like, oh, oh my God. And then the next day it was 40, and I was like, okay, it's over. But that's that was awesome. Yeah. Like, that that was cool. It's important, I think, in, that people fucking say something. Yeah. And not everybody has to be really intense. Like, not all the music I listen to is super heavy and heady and, like, listen to the me message I'm conveying. It's not all Rage Against the Machine. It's not all Rage know? Against the Machine, but so much of the music that has lasted has been somewhat controversial lyrically true has been saying something like tupac man like i said earlier mm. like when i was a kid it was just the dopest beat and the dopest mc i've ever heard in my life that's yeah. why i fucking liked him 
and he was just this like middle finger waving fucking gangster. I was like, fuck yeah. yeah. Like, fuck the cops. Like, I'm, I'm 15. Spitting the camera. Yeah, I'm 15. Who gives you shit? Like, you know. But then I grow up, and I'm like, wait a minute, dude. That dude, like, was saying shit that wasn't supposed to be fucking said, and that's why he's not here anymore. Yeah. You know? Like, reading between the lines a little bit, between music and, and, and just culture in general, but our music and the spark is, is definitely pretty heavy. When we play those songs, we have to mix in a handful of bob marley and sublime covers here yeah, and there because sure. i think people just get this kind of like holy fuck dude like whoa like ugh, like like dude you hit me deep and that matters and i appreciate that and like thank you i needed that but we need a couple pick-me-ups like okay everyone like no i'm with you how what, about a sing-along <laughs> what, what you were describing earlier for your your set list and the ups and downs and all that i really respect that because even in my 25 minutes set with dead fucking serious you know there's 17 songs in there they're each in four to five song blocks it's very strategically arranged you know and when i when i go out on a solo set solo tour particularly you know i've got 12 to 15 songs in that 45 minutes that i have very very carefully arranged to like you know make you feel good or make Mm -hmm. you laugh at lyrics and then like kind of get you listening and talk about myself mm-hmm. and then now that i have your attention uh, i'm gonna go somewhere really really uh make you think fire you up yeah fucking, exactly yeah, and, and try to have an arc to the set and and the fact that that you're thinking on on that level like me i, I really appreciate that yeah likewise in, in a live band and we do man we we i said it earlier we take our best compliment ever like we ever get when someone of course all compliments are nice and they're flattering but the one that we all appreciate the most because all five of us also sing and rap mm-hmm. like all five of us are lyricists too it's not like a lot of bands are like the front man is the singer yes. or the the one person sings all the fucking songs someone might do a backup here and there but like one person sings and everyone else plays your shit all of us you come to a show i mean people's heads are going left and right all the time because like the fucking drummer singing then the bass player then the keyboard player then the guitar player then the lead singer you know yeah it's all over the place we really appreciate when someone comes up and goes hey man like your music's super dope but like i really appreciate like your lyrics like i resonate with your lyrics and it's not like hey man i i I believe in what you're saying bro like you got my vote you know that's not what we're after it's just like dude i'm listening like i get it like holy shit you guys are fucking saying something and it matters and Thanks for giving a fuck. Thank you for having like conscious lyrics. Thank you for thinking out what you're saying instead of just, I don't know, just doing your thing. I feel like, you know, we do so many freestyle jams too. I mean, we dick around a lot too. We were goofballs and shit. But with the spark specifically, um, the music's pretty heavy, dude. It is. Like we don't really have any of those playful jams on there because like right now it's not really a playful time. Yeah. I mean, of course we're all optimistic people and that and, and the idea that, we're trying to think positively and, but at the same time, you know, it's really easy to fucking bury your head in the sand too, especially living in a place like Eugene. Yeah. It's so easy to think that shit is just fucking unicorn and rainbows, which yeah. in Eugene, it generally is. <laughs> well, but, but you're, like you're speaking literally now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. right. But, yeah. No, I mean, it's easy to stay in your bubble and it's also easy to, to get caught up in reading every little thing, you know, one way or another, 
whether you're rejecting all of it or over engaging i think a lot of us bounce between the two Absolutely. you know and it's hard so uh, sometimes another perspective to that, that you haven't considered or sometimes just hearing that there's another person like you no man you know like that that's the most comforting thing in in music sometimes it's is going head, oh man. man i this this is what i wish i had written you know or this is what me and my brother were talking about the other day or something like that or i'm not the outsider for thinking this way yes i think that's a big one that's that's a lot of people you know somebody who i was um, I don't hate him now. I just don't listen to his music anymore. But Marilyn Manson was was somebody that I listened to a lot when I was younger. Yeah. And again, it was in a time of my life where just I was just kind of a uh, teenager going through teenager shit, and I liked that fucking fuck you mentality. And like, yeah. dude, Hollywood Marilyn, is my shit. Yeah, That's a Marilyn Manson's right up my I dude. Antichrist Superstar week. is yeah. one of my favorite albums ever. You know, smells yeah. like children, like all the you know the good shit. Um, and Mudvayne and Slipknot and a lot of those bands like were were my shit back then, but something I've always appreciated uh, appreciated about Manson is like he does what he does for the reasons he does them, and it's not really resonating with me personally, but there's an entire culture clearly that resonates with him, and whether you think people can get peace from a type of music like that, I definitely believe and know for sure that a lot of people listen to his music and the simple fact that they feel the same way that he does, but he has an avenue to say it for them. Yeah. They feel this inner peace of like, like I'm not alone. Like I'm not alone in, in, in what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, like these are the things, you know, I don't necessarily have to agree with this, whatever, but someone out there is, is like me and sometimes that's just a feeling too even more like you were saying about listening to rap back in the day you know sometimes it was just a feeling mm -hmm. more than what they were saying at the time as well and and having someone else be able to communicate that with you that you're not alone in that mm -hmm. i mean that's that's the reason that metal music exists to this day and that punk rock music well, that's why it's prevalent to too. this day is because when somebody first did that it was some outlandish <laughs> shit and nobody got it but then the handful of people that did brought home that cassette and were like oh my god i've finally found something that's for me you know and that that means everything yep and and the emotional triggers that music brings is something that i i couldn't find a I stopped doing drugs years ago, you know? So, like, the only highs I get anymore are through music one way or another, listening, performing, writing, whatever. Yeah. Or nature-based shit, mm -hmm. you know? I'm a big nature buff outside of the music world, but, you know, being in the fucking forest on a hike and getting fresh air and just, like, kind of having that fresh air high of just, like, whoa, like, you know, feeling good and I'm breathing and my fucking blood is flowing through my my body and that's a great feeling but then also being at a concert or like putting something on a track or even doing this man like sitting down and bullshitting about yeah something that you love and you're passionate about like i mean again we're already you know two hours plus I could, yeah this is a long ass episode oh, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm digging it oh, so yeah, i didn't I want mean, to stop i'm not dude i'm you know people can tune in and out they can pause <laughs> fuck I, you know I listen to three-hour podcasts all the time. I'm not worried about I'm it. Not, I'm not the Joe Rogan show, man. I'm yeah, not yeah, used sure. to it. The other four hours. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess I guess just the you know, last thing I'll say is that music has been an a integral part of my life 
as well as sports have too. And I feel like I've, I've honestly been two different people growing up in my life. And for 20, you know, 15, 20 years, it was sports focused with music on the side as a fan. I was a player of sports and a fan of music. And now this next 15 years, 10, 15 years have been, I'm a player of music and a fan of sports, you know? And it's been a very interesting wave and I've just absolutely loved it. You know, it's, it's a blessing to, to play music and be a part of this and help other people out and vibe down. And music is my art form because, like, you know, I just don't do other forms of art. But anybody out there expressing whatever they feel needs to be expressed, I, I think, is just the utmost honor, honestly. And, and to live in an era and a place where, for now, um, it's acceptable to do so, I think, is... Uh, very important thing to not take advantage of, but, you know, to appreciate that opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're doing well and you're doing it for all the right reasons. So you got my respect for sure. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. All right. That is our show. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to sky for being on the show. We had never really sat down and talked at all. So this was really a great surprise that we hit it off like we did and I'm going to play a new song from The Spark from Soul Seed's new album but I just wanted to say if you're feeling the show if you like what I do here please subscribe to it I run this by myself so you know share an episode on your social media page tell a friend give us a good review on iTunes page anything like that helps spread the word some goodwill about the show and I'll keep trying to bring you quality interviews like this I'll leave you with a track from the brand new album, The Spark, called Boom Shot.
dismay Puts fear into the hearts of the people every day As the flames blaze higher, higher, deep into the night In the twilight, we'll remove the veil from our eyes Explosion, explosion, Babylon's corroding Violence in the streets and the bodies keep on falling We exposing, exposing, lies that they're promoting Music's in the streets and the hearts are overflowing Time for you and me to stand up and unite No need for tragedy, no need for negativity Hate won't get the best of me, I love with all of my might The sun will always shine bright, the tears will dry in my eyes Even when tear gas in my sight, I see through their disguise I want to live my life in harmony with all of the people I hope one day we can be together, standing strong and equal Sending fire through the city Oh, this system Wants to try and keep us down 